Hello. Hello. Hey. Good evening. Hey. Oh, sorry. Oh. I forgot. <laughs> Keep it on. Uh, should we uh, uh, continue talking about MySpace or should <laughs> oh, I just, now? <laughs> yeah, we have to, right? Okay. Um, let me first introduce all guests of tonight. Uh, we've got Inigo here, Inigo Kennedy. Welcome. Hi. Welcome to the show. It's been a while, man. It's been ages. It has. Yeah. Good to see you. It has. And you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I see people joining here now and on Twitch and, and um, YouTube saying hi. So hello, everybody who is watching there. Uh, we got Sam um, joining hello. us from Berlin, right, Sam? Yes, I'm in Berlin right now, yeah. Okay. So um, I've always wondered, I'm slightly dyslectic and um, I've always <laughs> wondered that... You know, yeah, okay, okay. So, uh, say it. See What's if you can, see, see if you can work it out. I mean, Satoric Mass, I call it, but I mean, it's it's just, um, yeah, it's just my name, actually. Yeah, backwards, right? Sort yeah. Of. <laughs> this <laughs> would be a to confuse people. <laughs> well, you did a good job, you know? Confuse me, so... Um, now, so. <laughs> okay, welcome. Welcome to the show, man. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. I was uh, yeah, happy to read your email on Monday night. Yeah, yeah, it was last minute, but it was uh, uh, really cool. You uh, you replied straight away, and uh, yep. here we are. Well, to receive an email from Speedy J, it's, yeah, doesn't <laughs> <laughs> happen every day. Well, awesome. Gonna gonna chat about everything uh, uh, we like. So uh, let's let's uh, let's do it uh, tonight. And um, of course, um, Ed is with us again. Yo, good to see you again, man. Yeah, good to see nice. you too, guys. Everyone, yeah, great to see everyone. Thanks nice to have you back. Everyone. Absolutely. Um, so I'm not going to say hi to everybody who's popping in right now, but hello, uh, uh, people who are watching. Uh, yeah, I should mention if you have any questions for um, any of us uh, or any suggestion what we should talk about or whatever, just drop it and uh, Sander will bring it in uh, in the background if it's any relevant. Um, so, okay, so MySpace. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's start at the beginning. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, that actually didn't cross my mind for ages until uh, Inigo just mentioned it. We were just discussing <coughs> internet stuff. Um, or should we switch to NFT because that's more sort of <laughs> yeah. current? <laughs> it's like yeah. the beginning and the end of the same story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still don't really get this NFT stuff. It's kind of, yeah, kind of a little bit confusing, isn't it? Well, maybe Ed can explain because he kind of uh, dabbles in it right now, right? Okay, well, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll attempt to explain. I definitely, I have dabbled and I have currently ceased dabbling, but may continue. I don't know. It's like, it's really interesting. Um, but a lot of people are, yeah, bringing to light that there are quite serious um or potential environmental issues with the amount of energy that's used in the whole process because it requires a, a shit ton of computers all linked together. Yeah. Um, as far as I understand, it's a kind of decentralized network and it's not owned by any of the major giants like Google or anyone else, um, which is a good thing, one would assume. But it's... Um, yeah, it, it requires a lot of computers all linked together. So they, they estimate that if you sell a piece of work for $300, um, it actually costs you about one year's worth of energy for one uh, laptop computer. 
So it's like a crazy amount of energy. But I'm just reading into all these things now. It's sort of, it's very, very new. Everyone's jumping on it. Um, I mean, there's already this kind of scene of like digital artists and 3D artists who have been into it for a long time, I think. And now um, some musicians also jumped on and started selling their work, like famously Grimes and... Uh, I saw as well. Yeah, a lot of people have been into it, more in the mainstream pop world, but it's, yeah. it is quite an experimental way of selling something, let's say. Um, and I also spoke to some kind of art curators who deal in, yeah, paintings and sculptures and physical art, and they were like, I don't really get this kind of digital art principle. But the main thing is with an NFT, it's one uh, original file, which is traceable and fully open source so everyone can see what what happens to it as it gets sold and resold and uh whoever buys it owns the the master let's say yeah so as far as I understand, yeah it's kind of cool so if you think about selling a piece of music if you sell one track to one person and they're the only one that owns it uh maybe that's an interesting thing to explore i don't know but it's not but actually it was, uh, the same as, as um, sorry, uh, Inigo, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, there, was, there was, wasn't there famously a Wu-Tang record? There was only one yeah, copy of yeah. it. But at least you have a physical record then. Mm, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's quite a philosophical discussion about what you are what you totally. are owning. You are just owning the right to say you own something. Yeah. yeah, because, I mean, in traditionally, owning a master of a piece of music means that you also... Uh, are the 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 person to contact if somebody wants to use it you know yeah. so if if you're the owner of a master of a recording uh, and somebody wants to sample it or something then you know in theory then you, they should contact the owner of the of the master and then they can make a deal about it but in this mm -hmm. case that's not even happening it's just the ownership doesn't really mean that it is just the ownership of the uh, of that single copy but even if you uh, you know, the original artist that sold this master will still be the master of the recording or the owner so. of the recording. Yeah. I think the cool thing is you can set your terms. So you could, in fact, yeah. say, I give you the rights if you want. I think you have to make it very clear. But it's pretty, mm. you know, it's early days and we'll see what happens. If if they introduce a, a cleaner way of um, powering the whole system, then I think it could be amazing for musicians. Like, imagine if you have some super cool artwork and a little video clip and your album and some vinyl. And then, you know, if you sell an NFT, that means someone gets a record in the post and then there's only 20 copies or something like that. I mean, it's, I can see it. Yeah, I can see it working with what you're doing, Joachim. Uh, you know, if, if it sort of uh, environmentally, if it's clean, then it, it makes a lot of sense, I think. Hmm. <laughs> the, the, the wheels are turning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean yeah, it's limited editions, you know, like another way to sell things or to get. I mean, fans, it's a fan based thing, I think, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd be, I'd be interested if the NFT could actually be a part of the art. Of the art. We're talking about art. You no. Know, could it you yeah. create something unique? You might have 50 uh, pieces of music or 50 pieces of art. Maybe somehow that the NFT could actually. Mm. make make that art different yeah totally. at least at least, it's, at least it's, it does something yeah there's uh, there's a lot of generative stuff going on and people doing collaborations and like with hundreds of artists sometimes where they each like submit some code or some uh, raw raw file and then 
NFTs are generated and each one is individual. And, you know, I, I can see, I can see some kind of nice correlation with, with techno for sure. Uh, it's pretty futuristic. It's like when you upload something to the server, it says uploading your file to the international space network or whatever. It's like, I don't know. It's like uh, William Gibson yeah. novels <laughs> in real life. Did you already get as far as like looking to upload something then, Ed? Yeah, exactly. Well, you, yeah, you, I mean, you have to you have to invest in it to to be able to upload something. It's yeah, it costs a little bit of money in in. Uh, so you, I mean, you're buying it with crypto, though, right? With, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's mainly Ethereum. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, some of my friends have been into uh, cryptocurrencies for years already, and like, <laughs> you bet they're doing all right now. <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's fair to say it's booming, but it's not really my world. But um. Yeah. yeah, I've been dabbling in a bit of crypto lately. I think my oh, whole, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the only reason why I managed to survive is through this, uh, this crypto stuff. Really? Stock yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it like... It became quite easy, you know? It wasn't it wasn't the Wall Street traders anymore that really uh, took over the markets in the past uh, in the past year. It was like the, the amount of people signing up to start trading has just gone through the roof. Like, I mean, with all this Robinhood traders and stuff in America and... I think everybody kind of succeeded with trading a little bit in 2020 because of like the huge financial crash and the markets going down so much. So it's kind of easy and back in like back in 2020, but now it's become a little bit more stabled out a little bit. But yeah, mm-hmm. seems to yeah. me na- naively that something at some point has to go wrong with it all. Let's <laughs> 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 to get in and get out. Really. But yeah, as long as you're there on the, on the way up, then. I guess that's a good thing. So far, you know, if, even the, even though the internet is uh, seems to be something that is like a fixed thing in, in all of our lives, you know, it's a really young thing. And since the beginning, it's been fluid, you know, it's, things have been changing all the time. Nothing is, seems to last forever. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Anyway, but yeah, um, yeah it's got a good chance to, to be there, be around for for a while, but, I guess. But that's the, uh, yeah, the, in- the internet uh, in connection with the way I've traveled through the music well, this is brilliant because I start my first release came out in in '96, and you know we were we were using command line computers at university to send emails, and you know the internet was really really is like nascent idea yeah. really, and and to see how everything's changed in that time, it's, it's incredible. So yeah, it's I was, just a short was, time. Yeah, yeah. I was sending I was sending emails to Carl Regis, uh, trying to send some demo tapes. And I'm sitting in a computer room at university with this kind of blue screen and, and wow. typing e- emails there, and well, it, it seemed to work. It's what did when you, you study when you think how I studied electronic engineering at, uh, cool. in Manchester, you uh, missed in Manchester. Yeah. And so we, you know, uh, but yeah, the the time is so short. How quickly things have changed, and so these, and it's getting quicker and quicker and quicker, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, these these ideas. You know, MySpace maybe is only fifteen years ago or something, and, yep. and disappeared. And the next thing come and go, and the next thing comes and goes. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would credit MySpace as uh, kickstarting. I mean, it was the way I got into making a little network and eventually releasing music and stuff like that and like getting my first gigs and all that kind of thing like in london around that time there was a little minimal techno scene buzz 
going on and a little community and it was on MySpace and that's how I hooked up with, with other producers and friends and yeah, it was quite an important step, I think. <laughs> Can we talk about more now? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that's not, but like that, that sparked something in ago because if you studied uh, electrical engineering and I guess that has a basic understanding of computing, right? Or requires a basic understanding of computing. And yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, super aligned with techno and with this kind of, at that time, that whole exploding scene of futuristic sounding music must have been really perfect for you. Yeah, I mean, although I, I got into computers a lot, a long time before that. So I was, I was actually, I mean, I started coding when I was probably around eight or nine years old. So that's no the early eighties. Um, probably thanks to my dad, he was a, an electrical engineer. He worked. He worked on things like fire alarm systems and and so on. And he he brought a uh, like industrial computer home when I was around eight years old. It didn't even have a case. It was just a like circuit board, and you plugged a keyboard into it with this ribbon cable, and it had a one line uh, one line display. Cool. Um, but he showed me how to program it, and I actually I had a, a robot that I built out of Lego, Lego like Lego Technics, and put some motors on it, and actually. My dad made a circuit board. We had it connected up, and you could program it to do stuff. Wow. And that, for me, I mean, that sticks in my mind as like a gateway to technology and computing. And, and then from then, I, you know, I could never be filled up. I was just constantly coding and, and learning stuff. So it was way before university that I, you know, I had started making music with, with computers, with a BBC B computer. Wow. This, this strange thing called the Music 500, which was a, a beige box that you had to program to make music. At the time, it was quite advanced, and it had its own language called Ample. Um, but it it wasn't like sitting at a keyboard and playing. Playing, you had to code in the music. So I was going to the library and getting scores for for uh, Howard Jones and Jean Michel Jarre albums wow. and, and then coding them in like reading the scores and then you'd have to type in like 24 comma c3 and that would be mm -hmm. a, a you know, middle a middle c for a 25 well, a length of 20 24 wow. or whatever it was and, and it would take hours to type these things in <laughs> so how, how do you get how did you get from there because this this sounds like a really sort of um um, you know, like a th theoretical way of dealing with music, right? I mean, how did you go there? Yeah. How, when did you find out that you could actually uh, use music as a, a tool of expression? Because, you know, listening to your music, you would, you know, you never would guess there is like this systematic stuff behind it, you know, or your brain is capable of doing yeah. that because it sounds so human, so fluid and so imaginative, you know? So where did you make the mm. discovery? Well, I, I guess at the same time, we had a small upright piano at home and and i would kind of just go and play it i never i didn't have formal music lessons i think i learned saxophone for about a year when i was 13 ish that was horrendous <laughs> um, but yeah in a way spando uh, belly <laughs> yeah well no it's never never that good or, or bad <laughs> whichever way you take it but um and so i uh, that was a much more pure form of making music. It was like an emotion on an emotional level and just exploring without any rules because I, I didn't have lessons, just exploring melody and, and the way music worked. So it's probably that those two things came together. Yeah. Um, and I discovered 
that I could make emotive music with a computer and not just programming in like someone else's music, like a, it's a, a formula. Yeah, that's cool. It's amazing. <laughs> and like, uh, what, what, so then you, what, what, can you remember what was the first um, system that you were working on when your first records came out? Or like, were you recording into a computer or using a computer as the main brain? Yeah, I, I, I'm, so after the BBC B, uh, then I, I ended up, I had a summer job working for a PC company, like putting together PCs. And I ended up spending all the money that I earned to get like a pretty nice PC for the time, which was like probably 1989-ish, around then. Um, and um, started to, and had a sequencer. It was running on DOS. It's before Windows. It was a, it was a thing. Yeah. And I think it was called, it was Voyetra Sequencer Plus Gold. And you had to know enough about computers to like get MIDI interfaces to work, and, and everything was so arcane. Wow! Um, and I, I, I had, I, I had a D50 keyboard, a Roland D50, uh, which I still have in the storage unit, and a um, an Evolution EVS1 module, it's like one new mm-hmm. synth module, and an, an ART. It was like a guitar multi-effects unit, really. It was a rack thing. Yeah, um, and that's it. And I had a couple of things that I built myself. So I had a mixer that I made that had five or six channels, and it was just rotary level controls and like one auxiliary level, and cool. that was it. And it was just it was like a I could call it a summing mixer to these days. Right. It'd be like five five thousand quid, but uh, <laughs> it was it was just a small circuit board in a box, and I had a distortion unit and a filter unit that I made as well. They were just in these like anonymous black boxes. And that was the setup really. But I still have that stuff that was recorded onto cassette, um, just like mixed down straight onto cassette. And I still have that stuff. And I I started archiving it in the last couple of years to get it digitized and listening to the arrangements. It's really fascinating that the arrangements were, were very different to how it worked now, but they they were also quite complex. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I really had you know you, there was not much equipment, and the sequencer was probably quite basic. But you really like used everything one hundred and twenty percent, like learned how to mm-hmm. use and abuse things. Whereas yeah, eventually the gear lust arrives, and you start to get a bit of money as you get a bit older and become an adult start working and mm-hmm. spending it on equipment and you end up with a bit too much yeah. maybe and you're not you don't learn everything quite as in as much depth so that was like a, a golden time of discovering how i could make music i guess it's also the thing that if you if you build your own stuff or you use very simple equipment which you really have to stretch to to get something out of um you're basically um you know still working uh, according to your own way of thinking about things or how systems should work and once you get into more complex operating systems designed by other people uh, you have to always make this switch between your own way of thinking and you know the the way things are implemented uh, which is designed by somebody else you know so you have to kind of adapt your um, your way of thinking if you if you buy really complex sort of new gear Mm. yeah and that's very hard to judge before you actually get hold of something yeah 
Exactly. Yeah, it's a good. Yeah. It's a very good point because you can, uh, you, you know, you can look at equipment now or software now, and it, and it looks incredible. You look at a YouTube video and you're like, wow. But when you actually maybe get it in front of you, and you're like, it doesn't just doesn't work. It's like a yeah. completely different paradigm to yeah. I mean, just, your, your flow is actually quite true. Because, you know, you can you can be obsessed by how something sounds, but if if it really doesn't doesn't gel, you know, between yourself and the, and the instrument, if there's just no logical way you could connect to it you know with your brain then uh it doesn't really make sense to to, to try you know even to uh, to develop a relationship with it because it, it you know you were not made for each other <laughs> if you know what i mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's like during the last year I, I discovered you could you could get um you could get an emulator of the old bbc computer that i had and you could with an emulator of this music 500 thing and it still appealed to me some on some level they like i i have to figure out how to get this thing to make some sounds again mm-hmm. even though it's like co- completely like dumbfounding the syntax you have to to use and you, so you, you, so you said the arrangements sound more it's almost experimental and different than how things are arranged these days so how, what was different how how was it uh, how was it different and what caused the the way the arrangements happened then I I think for me certainly now I, now it's or not now but in the last 10 15 20 years it's been much more like performing when or I make timeline, music yeah and not designing it hmm. I I hate the idea of of like designing music it has to flow and and be something I'm performing in that moment and usually I'm just capturing the stereo master that's it hmm. um but but then that wasn't really an option I didn't have the equipment to do it and the equipment couldn't do it. And so it wasn't more of a case of, you know, quite, quite like in a lot of detail designing what's going to happen in this track and having the equipment set up to, to do something specific. So that, that that's probably why it was different. You know, you're, you're challenging your he- your mind in a different way. Now I'm mm-hmm. thinking of a way to, to do this or to get from here to there uh, when it's not in the moment. And now it's it's uh, maybe it's also a bit more of a you know, the DJ's headset and mindset mm. to, to to think of getting from one place to another. Um, so that's uh, something that's evolved for me as well, independently of the equipment I've used. Yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I've I've worked with uh, with um, stuff that wasn't based on a timeline uh, for years before I I was able to do that. You know, like. Uh, in, <laughs> Um, like sequencers, which just allowed you to more like you know you could compare it to the way MPCs work or like uh, you know uh, any old school drum machine. You have to one pattern and you have to copy it to the next and then make a variation and copy it into the next one. You know, just make like a whole bunch of variations and then and then find out the way in what order you want them in a song. You know, and then you have to go back to the patterns to maybe remove one snare because that's you know. That doesn't go well in, in, in yeah. whatever part you, you know. So so you're kind of Legoing your your stuff together <laughs> rather than <laughs> rather than yeah. flowing with it, you know. So but it's it's possible and it makes you think about how to structure things in a different way. I guess, you know, it's it's more tedious, but it's it's also, um, uh, yeah. I, I would say there is something to say for it. To be honest, you know, just constructing your stuff that way. Although I, I haven't done it for years. I do still yeah. do it with uh, drum machines, but oh, not with all parts, you know? Uh, uh, I think there's, there's a benefit of youth as well. I mean, uh, uh, being a lot younger, your muscle memory and your your thinking 
Mm-hmm. You know, the, the keyboard shortcuts, for example, is just flowing out of you. Yeah, true. especially if you're especially if you're only dealing with one or two pieces of equipment, right? Uh, which you know, that's so different now. You know, it, trying to get muscle memory to to flow when you're using hardware or software, but at the time, you know, your your brain is like on fire because you know exactly how to get from A to B in this tiny sequencer application. That's all you have, yeah. and you know every single keyboard shortcut. Yeah. And the software is fast as well; it would respond. You know, you could press five keys in a, in half a second, and it would do what you wanted. It would, you know, That's so there cool. were there were benefits as well. Yeah, but I, you know, I could never get my head around trackers, for example. There was, was just a completely different way of working, which I mean, it's still popular. There's there's still a lot of trackers around. They're coming like, back. The hardware ones, yeah, this, this poly end one. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. That's an example of watching a YouTube video and thinking, "Wow, I could, that's really cool." But and then getting mm. it in front of you and thinking, "Now what?" <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Patrick, who I share the studio uh, with, has got one of these poly end trackers, and he showed it to me a little bit. It's it's definitely it looks great. It's kind of addictive once you get into it and it's very simple to yeah. use but I've never used those kind of hardware sequences ever really I've always used a computer to sequence stuff so I don't really know what I'm doing I mean now I started to get into it with electron stuff a bit with sequencing stuff externally but yeah it's uh, it does remind me though of, like like you said Inigo when, when you first start out there's this sort of naive energy and you just go for stuff and you like you kind of you want to try something out or you, you have an idea and you just find any way possible to make it happen. And I think now I'm probably a bit too lazy to, to spend that much time or energy like learning something so, so thoroughly. I don't know. It's also the limitation, you know. I mean, uh, working with a computer, you know, if, if that's your first instrument or the thing, the, the platform you're learning to make music on, you basically have every possible single option in the universe uh, available to you at once you know instantly yeah. and and um and you know i mean if if you are uh talking about the way uh what what inigo was telling you know with a very limited uh almost uh crippled <laughs> setup you know you you're you have like that just that way of of uh, getting things out of it so you you kind of have to become more creative even you know to to get what you want yeah yeah totally. I, mean, I, I remember you know it was it was mid mid early 90s i had a casio fz1 sampler mm. it's a keyboard it was like 25 kilos i mean inside was an insane amount of electronics i mean i know because i had a look <laughs> and uh of course you know did. that yeah <laughs> yeah um it, and yeah, it learned how to use that thing like nothing else probably, and that was that was responsible for most of the music I made in in the early to mid nineties. And I, I would if I would listen to that stuff back now, like I, I don't have any idea how one machine did did that stuff. <laughs> wow, so and, cool! You know, it's it's like abusing samples, and I mean, it, in a way, it's you know there were people using the Akai samplers and and things like the drum and bass scene exploding out of that because people were learning to use and abuse samplers in amazing ways it's very similar it's, yeah yeah it's having that that time to uh, it's, it's it's a lot of it is to do with time is to just focus on on a particular thing and really it becomes an extension of you so it's not getting in the way it's it's the it's the opposite yeah for sure 
but it's definitely not to say it's not as good as the old days. I mean, the stuff now is incredible too, but you have to, it's in a way it's harder to find the thing that works for you. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. Too, too much to choose from. Yeah. Uh, question from Voyage Tech 990. Uh, when did you realize that you want to release your own records? Is that for, for who is this set? I think Sam, right? Yeah, maybe. Then, um, Go for it, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know. I don't really know. I just wanted to put my own music out there. That's why I started my label SK11, just because I was like, I feel like I like it personally, and it's always an extension of like myself. So, yeah, I mean, SK11 is like a postcode from my hometown. Like my, like, I just felt like it was ready and that I wanted to do it personally. Maybe the music was like, I listened back to the first releases and they were not like as fully established as now, but I enjoyed them. And yeah, I think that I wanted my music to be heard by people. Some people are a little bit more shy about their music and stuff, but actually I'm kind of the opposite. Like I like to just put stuff out there, which I enjoy. That's why I also enjoy making a lot of experimental music because it's kind of just for myself and, um, if people like it, then they like it. And if people don't like it, I'm not going to get too like disheartened by it because it's, it's also like, it should just be for yourself. So, yeah. Yeah. It's good therapy, isn't it? It's definitely, yeah. Music. I don't know how other people feel about their music personally, but I guess you've all been releasing music for a long time. And, and I guess, yeah, some people are really scared of like releasing music and like, there's a lot of good producers out there which kind of sit on like amazing music because they're always so scared to put it out there. And I'm like, right. so yeah. talented, just go and do it. Yeah, it's oh. hard, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, I, I've, I'm always just um, drawing the line because I, I don't no longer feel the need or uh, energy to keep working on it. You know, I get, I get it in, in some state where I think it's 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 cool, you know, in it's in a in a state where I think it's acceptable or um, or even the best version it can be, you know, like yeah. uh, I'm not putting out anything that I I don't like or I think could be improved, but there is a limit to it, you know. I'm not going to spend six months on something just to get like the tiniest detail that nobody will ever hear, uh, just perfect, you know. I, I mean, used to work with a guy when I was like 18 and he was like making progressive house and he was spending like three or four months on one track. And I was like, ah. I, was like <laughs> I was like, how's that track going? Like every week and it's like, oh, I'm getting there, getting there. And I was like, yeah, with progressive house, I guess you need to like fine tune all the melodies and the progressions and stuff. But I was like, that's a little bit intense. Yeah. Yeah. But pretty much when, by the time it's, it's recorded or, or, or committed to, to disc or to, you know, tape virtually, you know, um that's pretty much it i i wouldn't you know I, I i kind of clean things up after that and 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 make make it's the best version of it and and then i move on to the next one because i think starting something um is way easier than than trying to uh recover something or to change something into what it isn't you know yeah if you if you have something going and you're not happy with it you know m my thing would then be uh, starts start working on a new idea rather than trying to you know sort of squeeze into in, into a direction um, because you're not happy because it just takes forever and it, you, you end up with a I mean if made the mistake before you know I mean but uh, you end up with a, a, 
an idea and then slowly it morphs into something else and then you've spent all that time and you know millions of clicks around and stuff like that you know mm. just to end up with another weak thing you know mm. <laughs> i'd rather have like just capture a strong idea or a really a beautiful moment and then use that as the basis to 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 work from or even just leave it like that you know if it's if it's if it's nice it's nice you know yeah um i never yeah, sit on it too much yeah, that, there's no rule really and you know, it's like trying to compare opera and punk music you know, mm. they have very different reasons and and very different end games as well and if you know Jochem certainly you probably started making music in a similar way to me and it it's it was quite organic and hardware based and you didn't really have a lot of chance to go back and, and work on something again and again so in a way you well for me anyway you learned to 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 do it in the moment and True, yeah. like cap, capture what happened and move right. on yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, only when when computers came along and and were uh, actually capable of also capturing the audio of what you were doing, that hasn't been around for such a long time. I think that mm. was like ten years into when I, when I started making music. You know, all that time before it was okay. You got your mix down on the board, and at some point you hit your record button on on the DAT machine or whatever, and uh, and that's your version. And then you know then you have to kind of zero everything out and start something new but there's no way to to get anything back i mean you can you know make polaroids of your desk and shit like that and you know re <laughs> <laughs> keep your settings but it never never comes back the same you know so it's uh yeah it's just a uh, make make the best uh, make the best of the situation record it and you know start a new thing yeah. that is, well, i would have uh, i would have loved to have been in the room when you made the fun equations <laughs> <laughs> one of the greatest a uh, great track um, thanks. Yeah, it was. It, it's fairly simple, I think. Um, so often uh, the best way. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, the, that was on an Atari uh, and 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 a sixteen-channel desk and some some synths and modules. You know, it's nothing nothing fancy, but it uh, um, that's how all all of the music that back then kind of was recorded. Um, yeah. So actually, yeah, that, that I should talk about a track of yours, uh, uh, Inigo, because the mm. first time I actually. Uh, learned from from your music was the this preliminary statement track on uh, asymmetric yeah right fuck mm. man that blew my mind i've i'd been so, i heard it in somebody did somebody's dj set and then i was like what the hell is this because isn't there some dsp kind of stuff going on in there or is it like extreme filtering but i th i i i th always thought i was always into this combination of um like uh chunky hardware type vibe loop stuff you know mm -hmm. and then and then use all these um you know micro editing on dsp two track editors or whatever uh to sort of dress it up you know what i mean i've done that a lot uh, in, in my music as well and mm -hmm. that was the, one of the first techno tracks that implemented both or in my mind anyway i don't know i, I want to hear the story about it but it sort of <laughs> implemented that sort of uh, micro tuning micro filtering uh, uh, techniques um i mean it seems like there's a lot of editing like two track editing going on in that one yeah and, uh, and it, it combined it in a way that i thought ah shit this can also be you know i mean it's always hard to to i was after that kind of sound myself always and then uh, you came along and did, did the record that I wanted to make. <laughs> you know, wow. you know what I mean. <laughs> wow, God, that's that's nice to hear. <laughs> no, um, I've yeah, been, I'd been trying to, but it always became more industrial and sort of more sort of sound designy and weird, you know. But never in a really sort of relentless. Yeah. I mean, no, that to me was you know truly the definition of minimal. 
the, the way I went about that. And it's actually, I mean, the story is I was working on a remix for the Space DJs yeah, okay. of the AK-47 track. And I, I had this idea, and I was, you know, quite heavily influenced by Aphex Twin, as anyone could easily tell by listening to my music. And um, and I was, yeah, like you were saying, getting interested in this idea of, of micro editing or just just working with with a, a loop and seeing what I could do with it. And that's what that's how I started to work in doing the remix for the Space DJs. But then I, I kind of developed the idea and thought, what what can I do with a single one beat loop and that's basically what that track was yeah <laughs> preliminary station and it was uh entirely done in in soundforge on my pc yeah so mm. just editing and filtering and not really paying attention to this has to be you know four beats or eight beats or 16. Mm. so you know the, the timing in that track is pretty pretty crazy uh, yeah, but it's so, it's got. Uh, that's why it it's so energetic, you know, because all these things, the it it's a very driving sort of one bar loop, and then it stops and it goes again, and then you you got like a, it's 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 like some some um, you know wizard DJ is is fucking around with a, with a loop, you know what I mean? It it still has a flow and an and an urgency to it, even even though it's uh, it's it's kind of um, not structured as a classic loopy techno track anyway but yeah um, i mean I, I, it was a classic comment i got for most of my tracks in the in the asymmetric vinyl years it's, it's a nightmare to mix i mean <laughs> my, my, reply was, my, yeah, my response would be you have to mix better but yeah <laughs> i don't know how to mix it but uh yeah that one i mean that one and there was no mastering involved on that track and it was some pretty harsh filtering and it's still yeah. sound it's still it still hits today Mm -hmm. I mean, I, Absolutely. I play it from time to time, and it still gets a, a great reaction. Yeah, it was just a lucky, a lot of lucky accidents in a way. As yeah. Well, to... Yeah, for me it was the combination because I was really heavy into uh, into two track editing. I, I used, um, I think it it was, um, I don't know. There was one editor I've, I forgot the name of, um, uh, and then I moved to Peak at some point. And uh, mm -hmm. and you know that I had uh, also like a lot of plugins you could you could use. They were non real time, but you could sort of preview the the edits or the the plugin work in in real time, and then you had to save it and to make it to solidify it or to make it real basically. Yeah. Um, and I you know I had at some point I was basically doing constructing everything in there. You know, just ma even making beats, just to, you know. Uh, zooming in on tiny details, you know, and and then treating them, and you know, doing tiny mm. reverses and and um, you know, different EQs on on like micro bits, bits and stuff like that. You know, it's just a, so so much fun to work. Um, yeah, very tedious, but um, yeah, n n nothing yeah. else can 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 get that effect. Basically, you really have to zoom in and and go there and do the work basically to get yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm sure you had the experience that you spent a long time focused so narrowly on a like. The one bar, yeah, and then you, you zoom out to the whole track again. You're like, I just wasted like yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can go too far and just yeah, zoom into into things that you know in the grand th scheme of things uh, end up being completely irrelevant. But you know, it's just a thought. Yeah. You know, I can do this little tweak yeah. and it's going to be sort of like a hidden thing yeah <laughs> it's satisfying on an intellectual level absolutely so it, i love it, it may yeah. not have a the good result yeah yeah i mean there's uh, if i know there's two tra track editors around these days but um i'd never found one that i was so fluid in because like you said you know in the beginning being very fluid with uh, 
uh, a piece of gear. I had that on on peak. You know, I was just key commands and just you know just mm. very quick. Anyway, yeah. So I I I, I mean I, I was forced to switch away from Soundforge some years ago, just uh, the way it, the way it turned out on in the software world, and I, I switched to Reaper. Oh. And it took it took a while, but I, I I really got to use it a lot recently, and um, and use some of the scripting and so on in, to do that kind of thing to be able to like divide up areas and and um, move them around and so on. But it, it's you know it takes time to to learn how to do it and to get yeah. yeah and to relearn all of those shortcuts as well. Yeah. So, yeah, Reaper is you know that's my go-to editor now, and where I kind of pre-master everything as well. So I oh. still record to stereo and and then oh, do yeah? a few few standard tricks. Nice, um, you can get on, the best results with with techno. I think it's I'm I'm always surprised to be like spending ages on something with tons of different channels in Ableton, and then just to free my mind or just record like a jam with two machines through the mixer, and then you get this two-track jam and the energy is often way better or w much more fluid and like because it's like a performance then isn't it yeah um, I mean, again like, like i said before that maybe goes back to the kind of the djing side of things where you, yeah. you learn to 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 like sculpt the sounds but in a in a in a stereo way in like the, the yeah there's no there's no messing around with stems and well i mean uh, native instruments tried to get us to dj with stems once but right yeah, didn't really yeah. catch on. Yeah, you're like, just uh, learning. You're learning how to make to to make a single thing sound like you want it to. Totally, and also the the gestures you make with the mixing desk or like or with the instruments. If you're used to DJing a lot, then you know you can kind of do it in the moment, and it really captures like a, a vibe. Whereas if you try and program that or do it with a mouse, it's it's hard to recreate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, there's just no way to recreate it. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice fellow, wrong planet <laughs> on Twitch is asking uh, Inigo about your arcing. Is that why? What is? Yeah, uh, with a hard C, but a lot of people say arsing. Uh, okay, <laughs> right. I, so, I didn't. I didn't consider that when I <laughs> when I titled it. <laughs> okay. Um, do you want to talk about that? I I think. I mean that that track is a perfect example of it of something that you know it, it happened in an hour and it was just uh, maybe four or five elements and it just it worked. Right. And there's no way really to explain how to do that, but it's you know you get in the zone and it, 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 there it was. And um, I mean I didn't I didn't realize at the time that was going to be pretty a pretty big one. It, it, it turned out that way, so I'm quite happy with that. That's what we really all are are not waiting for, but you know we all know the feeling, you know, of uh, slaving away for months and you know doing all kinds of things, and then all of a sudden, without you even realizing, this little unassuming thing that you did uh, is is eventually becoming the one that uh, <laughs> translates, yeah. to, you know, and, yeah. and catches on or whatever. Well, it's you know, it's a, the thing that appeals to people maybe not most but you know with musically people like need a hook yeah we all know that but to, to come up with a hook is not an easy thing but but overthinking it is what can ruin it in a way Absolutely. it's just you know, you can't be in the right mood all the time but if if it happens then you know three notes suddenly become stuck in people's heads <laughs> i can like, hear that what? track around my head <laughs> yeah you're like what is that 
surely those three notes have been put in that order before <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> yeah. But um, I guess it's also to do with the tonality of the sound as well. I mean, that's yeah. like uh, from the arcing track, the tonality of this, the main synth sound is like really unique, I think, in the way that it, yeah, hmm. it's a great track, actually. So how, uh, how does it... Know, it's, uh, the it's the same with the bells, for example. It's like, yeah, it's, yeah it's exactly. Like, uh, one, yeah, yeah, those, those few notes are, they, they stay in your head forever. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, the way the the melody and the the, the kind of there's two thank layers of, of thanks melody. for saying the bells. Now it's stuck in my head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I actually love the bells without the the bell part. Just this like first stabby oh, yeah, yeah. killer. I could yeah. just listen to that for an hour. There is a version, right? That's like like I don't know how long it is, but it's about ten or fifteen minutes long, and it's just that loop and doesn't really well, you, ever break you can hear really. quite a lot of mills tracks from that era have the same very well very similar yeah uh, that core part and mm -hmm. you can almost imagine like yeah one he had the same thing you know probably one day he's in the studios and suddenly the bells happened and yeah with you know <laughs> and that was that exactly. yeah, that melody just kind of came together probably so Sam, Sam, are you are you a person that hunts for for um, these things, or are you a person who will just go in the studio and let things happen and whatever you like is I the thing you go I along with? I normally let things happen, but at the moment I've been trying to study a lot more, especially in this time right now, like studying music theory, like a piano class tomorrow. And um, I do really want to use this time kind of wisely because it might, it, hopefully it's not always going to be like this before we'd be back on the road and I'd be a little bit more busier. So yeah, I really want to try and study like a little bit more about music theory and about how things are working like this because it's really vital. I think also to have like a long career in music, then um, it can't always just be experimenting. I don't think, although I do love to experiment, definitely. No. How, how long have you been learning piano? Uh, not long, to be honest. I just started with YouTube classes, and then I've had like I dip in and out of like one-to-one -one classes, and then I'm going to meet a new guy tomorrow for another set of classes, and hopefully, like we have a nice connection, and I can like continue on with him because I'm really ready to do like twice a week classes because. Yeah, I really want to get into it a lot more and understand like the way that it's all working, and then put that into put that into my own music in my own certain way. Like, I don't really like to stick to like proper scales and keys and stuff like this because I feel like sometimes it like loses some. It's kind of loses the feeling a little bit, and I feel feel like in all my years of producing, I kind of I made music that I like without being like classically trained or something like this. And it's, I still like to, even though it might not be, you know, it might not be absolutely correct to like the properly trained ear, but I really like that. And I don't want to lose that part of me. Um, but I do want to like, you know, come up with like a little bit of more understanding, definitely, especially if um, you want to take out, take out of techno, you want to move away from techno a little bit and maybe move on to like more like, music for adverts and all these different sorts of things like this and mm. yeah just generally have a long career in music because yeah yeah now's the time to do it man absolutely yeah right i mean i think we've all been learning and ex trying out new things experimenting i mean yeah. experimenting and learning go together but then yes learning something like that that there's where there's like a foundation and a theory to it yeah, exactly. It's super, it just takes, it just takes a lot of studying, and then you, you can kind of get to grips with it. I mean, that's all what it is. You just have to be disciplined on yourself to do it. And if you don't learn the rules, you can't break them. 
Exactly. Well, that's that's well yeah, that was yeah, my yeah, yeah. No, yeah. you can you, you can you can break rules without you real, realizing you're breaking the rules. You know, so I don't. Yeah. I'm just not sure I agree. <laughs> <laughs> what, about, what about everybody else? How do how do you feel on music theory and like this side of the world? Do, are you we played instruments as a kid or? Yeah. I mean, Ed, Ed, you've got a piano there, right? <clears throat> See that, yeah, yeah, but it's bit, it's pretty broken. I still, I never really got it fixed because it's uh, quite out of tune. But I quite like that it's out of tune, so I just <laughs> left it. But it's fun to you can play it, but it's like a honky tonk, like uh, pub piano vibe, which is quite yeah. fitting for tonight's <laughs> chat. But, um, I play guitar, and I used to play kind of seriously guitar when I was young, when I was a teenager and I had guitar lessons for a couple of years with a really cool guy at my school who was like the rebellious kind of um, long haired guitar teacher character <laughs> who we all thought was really cool. And he taught me how to play a blues scale. So I just then just tried to play blues and, and rock and roll stuff uh, from then on until I was about 16 and fell in love with well, even 15 probably, and then fell in love with electronic stuff and then just kind of ditched my guitar. But I still uh, play it and use it, and it's good to know, yeah, it's good to know how to um, kind of come back to a root uh, key or chord, I guess. But I don't really use that so much, to be honest, in, in electronic music. It's much more sort of intuitive, right? I think that's what you were saying, Sam, as well. It's like... You don't want to restrain yourself or restrict yourself to exactly. not um, too much, you know. Definitely not. Yeah, it does yeah. tend to lose a feeling. I think some somehow it just, you know, I think that's why we that's why we enjoy electronic music because it's not always so like clean and clinical and things like this. Um, that's maybe yeah. why we gravitated towards it rather than you know just listening to <laughs> classical pianists all day. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I think that, that this like explosion of the analog modular side has really kind of it's broken that 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 kind of traditional melodic rule set anyway you know there's no you're not sitting in front of a keyboard with fixed keys and fixed pitches and uh, this it's a lot freer in terms of timing and and pitches and all all the different attributes so that's that's kind of blown the doors off in a way yeah and just uh using or working with synthesizers in general especially if you have more than one voice, you have the opportunity to detune it. And as soon as you get into that, then you, there's no coming back. I think like if you have a guitar, this is like my guitar teacher was always telling me my guitar was slightly out of tune and we'd spend half the lesson trying to get the G string in tune. And it just used to frustrate me. Like I, I thought it sounded okay. And he was like, mm, it's a little bit out of tune. Like, I don't care. Uh, and, you know, it's perfect. Yeah, exactly. And with, with sense, it's amazing if you detune them and if, things are completely off it can sound it can be yeah. exactly what you need exactly. but I, I, I find the whole the, the whole subject of like micro tuning is i find it really fascinating because you know your your let's let's say our western minds are used to a traditional certain scales of music and and then you you discover that you've been listening to some like aphex twin stuff that's micro tonal you know yeah. what but it's but it's still completely made sense and your your brain is still like it recognizes a, a melody and, and which which notes are going to come in which sequence. It's it's really interesting that you know we we kind of culturally get programmed with these the black and white keys of a keyboard. Yeah, the twelve notes. Exactly. One way of explaining it, but you you're 
your mind is completely working in a completely different way. Who's your new piano teacher? Is it is it uh, Hussein, Sam? No, I had a couple of lessons with Hussein. Yeah, but no, he's the guy called Doron. Because <laughs> and I was just going to say, because he, he you should get him on Joachim uh, Magna Pia, uh, Hussein from Casagrain, because he's yeah. basically an expert on this topic. Yeah, it's super wizard. interesting. Because it's like just the historical aspect of uh, you know the Western uh, twelve twelve tone scale. Uh, which took over the world in music. And there's like, so many other scales out there, or, or like, um, yeah, tunings out there, yeah. and what they mean in terms of like cultural and social uh, history is uh, it's, it's mental. He always blows my mind with that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's an interesting character. The thing that he did with uh, the Tom and the music shop, the thing that he did there was really interesting. Was yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just within an hour, kind of giving you like a basic foundation on all that stuff it's everyone should uh should take the time to to watch that or yeah okay well it. maybe uh Sunday can find it and, and drop in the link somewhere yeah yeah cool yeah 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 cool yeah i i actually uh, um reached out to him but i'm not sure if i if i had the right contact details but we'll see yeah um, yeah i mean the thing is with um I, I tend to to do most of the things that I do um, intuitively. So um, I know when something is not um, in the Western scale or you know like or like properly tuned or whatever. But um, I just use whatever I feel like fits the the circumstances. You know, like wh whatever works in the in the track or in the piece of music, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I also like atonal things a lot, to be honest. <laughs> like completely clashing things, you know. I, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's a common thing in um, in in a, lot of, in a lot of techno or abstract music, you know, to um, to just do things that are uh, not even in a in a in a sort of uh, unusual scale, but even completely just uh, atonal. You know, yeah. it's it's fine. Ring modulator. Yeah. <laughs> What would we do without that? Like frequency shifting and ring mods. It's basically techno, isn't it? <laughs> uh, oh, there was a f question about film music. Yeah, I actually did some work for that. Um, so, um, and there's another one. Oh, uh, Kulun Kulundi scales um, from Samuli. Samuli, what's up, dude? <laughs> Um, must, that that must sure. be some, some crazy Finnish music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, I, yeah, I maybe somebody can uh, explain. Hmm. It doesn't ring a bell. I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's me. this is what the Alexi Perel is doing, isn't it? Yeah. But um, I don't really know how to explain it as, as such. I guess it's all very much like um, frequency based. Probably tiny little notches. I'm not too sure, to be honest. Go on, in you go. Well, I, I have no idea. I, I've heard of it. And you, you, I think you're right about uh, Alexi. Um, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I read about it. I don't. I don't know what it is. I think I, uh, I one more that thing on the to-do list. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's a very long list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For, it's um, four thirty-two hertz. I know that it's something to do with that. Yeah, it's like the life frequency. Hmm. Yeah, but it's it's very. Uh, it's very appealing the music he makes is super melodic and super harmonic and like yeah. pleasure pleasurable to listen to it makes a lot of sense it's i think it's about 
tunings which are supposed to sync with our natural frequencies or res resonances. Yeah, pleasing and yeah. Well, put some of that on later. <laughs> <laughs> He's crazy. He releases so much music. It's like every week there's a new album or something. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So have you guys been more productive, do you think, in the last year or, or struggling creatively? I think it goes through waves, to be honest. I think after the first lockdown, well, when it when this all happened in March and it was super productive, then summer came a little bit less and the winter starts to come, then you peak again. And then now I'm like, got huge writer's block, actually. It's kind of frustrating. Oh. Got uh, a huge writer's block. I mean, yeah, trying to experiment with different ideas, but yeah, it just... I don't know. Sometimes things just aren't, aren't quite right in life and it just kind of disrupts the flow. So, and also now I feel like the lockdown in Berlin and like the gray weather has gone on for quite some time now. And it's time to like, time for a little bit of sunshine and like get back in the flow. It's always good to distribute some energy into some other things when you're feeling like that though. And then you kind of recharge a bit and then, you know, maybe do like label work or just, Take a break. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Another question from the nice fella. Uh, <laughs> to all of us, which artist would you most like to work with? I've, I've answered that question before, so I'll go first. For me, it would be Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> that would be awesome. I mean, That's a good, uh, I mean there's, there's no... There's no uh, uh, um, nothing in the question about whether he should be dead or alive, so <laughs> I'm, I'm just... Uh, <laughs> I'm just going with it. Inigo. Yeah. I, I have no idea. I no, mean, it's difficult, eh? That's why I say Jimmy Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. It's, a good, it's a good get out. <laughs> Although it would, it would be amazing. Probably. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's difficult. I mean, I, I've very, very rarely done collaborations full stop. And, and it's something I, I, I don't know. I, um, I never feel like the result is that is as good as working solo in a way. Uh, it's really hard to, to bring two, two uh, people together and, and make the sum of the parts better. Ooh, I don't know about that. Maybe, maybe I've something got, I, I've uh, got for me. Experience. I mean, <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. It's, yeah. You know, maybe that's not one of my strengths. It's, but you know, they're, they're, I'm sure there are a ton of people out there that it would work with. I've not got the benefit of that experience. Right. Yeah, I think it's fun to work with people who you uh, look up to, maybe, or like who you feel like can teach you something and be a bit like the. For, in my experience so far, if I work with people who are a bit more experienced, it tends to be more rewarding, or like, um, yeah, you kind of like have this this teacher aspect, and then you learn a lot of stuff, and I don't know. I'm trying to think who I who I would pick. Who would you pick, Sam? Uh, I guess it's two people, but Oteka. Yeah. <laughs> Of yeah, yeah, that would be cool. No, <clears throat> I guess it's uh, it would be a bit of a minefield. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never I mean, know. I, I mean, it. You know, you can never really predict how the, how collaborations go until you really do them. You know, it's. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I've done loads, and um, I think everyone, every single one so far, has been valuable. You know, in 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 several ways. So. Um, you know, uh, the the thing that that is, 
it there's always always one thing that you don't get when you work by yourself and that's the kind of obligation to each other to come up with a result you know so uh, you set aside uh, some things which you would normally spend time on you know and and just forget about them and you're um you know i mean I, as much as i i think just dabbling around is valuable um during a collaboration you can't you know you have to set time restriction and you can't afford to just noodle and and uh or you know uh, switch on netflix or whatever you know what i mean it's that's yeah. something you don't do when you <laughs> when you uh or you, you forget about all your admin jobs you know like you know building sound banks or your your you know archiving things or whatever that's all the stuff you do in your own time but if if you're together with another person you you're strictly focused on getting something done which which can be a help for both you know and um it's a really in my in my experience it's always a really uh, focused uh, environment you know it's like okay now we're together we owe it to each other to to do something which we are both going to be happy with you know yeah so you have to be really disciplined i think when you're collaborating with people and i like i like the fact of like um you know each person has their turn i feel like the collab collaborative efforts when people really try to just work together like holding the mouse like you're holding hands kind of thing it's nice to like just like let the other person go for a little bit and then you jump in and then you just sit at the back of the room and you say okay that's not right and then you have a little go and then it's like 50-50 kind of but when you really try and like fine tune every sound together i really do, i really I don't like that way. No, no, no. But I mean, everybody has their strengths and weaknesses, and that's that's exactly, something you yeah. find out about while you're collaborating. So if yeah. you if you <clears throat> notice the other person is really quick with certain things or has a very smart way of doing things that you never thought of yourself, there's always something in the other person where you think where you think, oh man, that's why didn't I do it like this all yeah. this time? I've been doing this in a in a way that <clears throat> is too complicated or taking too long or. Uh, not efficient or uh, you know restricted in whatever way um, and uh, and sometimes you know it's just like uh, having a conversation with people you find out uh, what is where the sweet spot is you know where where the overlap is what 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 happens when you bring those two minds together what is the the thing that can can come out of it you, because you, you shouldn't um, I mean and also it's it's the attitude of, of, of both you have to kind of let go of your sort of uh, really strict regimes uh, that you have in your mind for for when you work on your own stuff that you you have to set them aside and just see what see what let it happen and see what 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 happens and then just make the best of it basically you know yeah it's pretty uh, liberating because like you and my experience is that whenever i work on music with anyone else then it just turns out completely different to how i would have imagined it if had it been had i been on my own you know and that's cool sometimes it's like you can beat yourself up about your own music but then if you work with someone else on a track it's like yeah cool let's go for it let's just yeah. do it you know and then it ends up being more lively or more exciting or a bit more kind of like genuine in a way like i think the the holy grail of this especially if you're making techno is that the track should have like kind of attitude and life and have balls in a way or have it's uh, a terrible expression to use but like uh, have have some um attitude let's say yeah and uh, i think it's cool that happens in a spur of the moment kind of collaborative thing sometimes but yeah i was yeah, just well, thinking, i mean <coughs> the stay at home stay at home sound system sessions the the i mean the live aspect has got to be a huge part of it yeah you know, there's an adrenaline oh yeah absolutely yeah. aspect as well and that i mean it's been amazing to watch some of those like yeah i mean it's totally hit and miss. inspired it's 
Oh, yeah. Well, thanks. I mean, it's inspiring for everybody who's involved. You know, it's it's really a question of, uh, you know, uh, getting together and, and we never really, uh, well, we make sure everything works, you know, like like when there's any syncing going on, we make sure the it's technically all uh, fine, you know, and then usually we, we kind of discuss, um, you know, how do we start, you know, like the first sort of you know whatever happens when the first fader goes up you know and 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 basically it's all completely 100% improv from there and um it and you know i i would say the the ones that are the, the, in this season are the ones that are that don't involve any preparation at all i mean in the season 1 some people came with some prepared like loops or uh you know pre-programmed stuff or uh, some idea what they wanted to do and and still then it was ba basically just uh, go with the flow and see what happens but now it's pretty much all improvised in in real time so nothing is programmed there's it's just played and and mixed and um yeah everything happens in real time it's it's complete improvisation and it's it's yeah. really it's really cool because you 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 have to you know you you have to uh, <laughs> you have to kind of rescue yourself out of uh, out of every situation you know because it's um, um it's happening in real time and you know if it's going uh in some direction you have to find a balance in following that direction or trying to sort of take a little turn there or to bend it into something which is more to your liking and it's all happening organically. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's a real skill to, 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 to give each other space to do that yeah. as well. I always say the most important thing, when, when you play with someone uh, and you are improvising in real time, so if you do a live show or a live set, set um, the most important thing is listening and, and not doing, you know? Mm. Um, and and also the other thing is once you once you hear something you like you know don't touch it you know just leave it for a while <laughs> yeah and just let it let it breathe mm -hmm. and develop and and then the other person might do a tiny thing which will which will have an impact you know and then you can think about your kind of uh, counter move or you can you, you know whatever so it's it's really like you you don't really take turns that that is that is something which is not talked about you know it's like an intuitive thing uh, but um but it is, in a sense, um, yeah, giving each other space, enough space to to respond to whatever's going on. Yeah, I mean that's probably where I, you know, where I would have to learn the most, you know, how to slow down, like you right. say, to yeah, you're not the only one to react to everything that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's really true. The, the, that the less you do, the better it's going to sound. You know. Mm. Well, Sunday Sunday evening just gone. That was. Uh, great <laughs> yeah the Spacey one with uh, yeah the one with megan that was fun yeah, yeah. that was actually here in the studio so mm -hmm. the ones that are here the ones that are in person are, uh, are a little easier to do because you can you have the the other person in the room you got you get the energy and and the you know the action you know the, uh, yeah just the vibe of being with uh, with an actual an actual person and the remote ones um, they are a little bit more difficult, but you know they make you focus on what you hear even more. You know, it's um, yeah. um, also because there is a bit of that sort of delay you have to deal with. Um, is that like a couple uh, of bars delay? You were saying, from, yeah, like, it's fixed. It's a fixed two-bar delay. Yeah. So when yeah. when you do something which is uh, rhythmical, um, it's actually uh, it, you don't really feel it as much. Uh, as long as you stay away from uh, sudden movements and you know, like uh, you know, quick DJ style uh, editing, or whatever. But yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But if if you just let things flow, you don't. You, after five minutes, you're not even aware of it. You just follow along whatever is going yeah. on from the other, coming in from the other side. Um, right, right. But the um, um, but the more abstract sets are are you know they don't really suffer from that uh, at all. Really, it's to, mm. because the movements are so slow. Um, it doesn't really make a difference. Super cool. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Definitely. Uh, let me see if there's. I see so many things going on in the comments. <laughs> Here we go. Dorbachev. Um, have you heard of the Flare audio systems? What is this about? Ah, uh, uh, it's like a sound system. <laughs> uh, okay, it's now, been a long time one. since I heard a sound system anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can't wait. Can't wait sound system. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've, the one thing I say about, I want to say about that, you know, I've been I've spent a year in the studio now, pretty much. List that's my only listening uh, environment, and uh, I recently went to uh, I was invited to do this uh, thing uh, with uh, Colin Benders and um, and Steve Rahmat, like uh, on one of his Colin's uh, massive to thirty two hour <laughs> uh, live streams. And that was in a, in a venue with an actual venue sound system, and I had to, to get mm. used to it so much, man. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. it's um, it's such a different uh, way of reproducing sound, you know. Anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot the, the how, how loud it could be, you know. The room, yeah, yeah. Right. It's about the room as well. So I don't yeah, think. Yeah, I mean, of course, the system is designed to to be at its best when the room is filled with people. So you get yeah. you get the. The empty room kind of uh, reverb added to it, uh, although the, yeah. the the venue where we played was uh, they have pretty okay acoustic, so that wasn't that much of an issue. But uh, but yeah, you get you get the tuning. You have a different perception of how things sound, and it also make a lot of difference where you stand in the in the room and stuff like that. You know. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, but in, I mean, in general, you can't really say one this PA system is you know ahead of another one because in one room one will sound great in another room oh, another yeah. will sound great or yeah. the the power supply of the building maybe uh right yeah, yeah. there's so many contributing factors so. how they're set up right by the technicians as well and who looks yeah. after them who maintains them or if they're being maintained and like things having repairs and yeah. cables and yeah it's crazy it's so so complex yeah do you do you uh, actually f work um when you play a set somewhere in a room, do you try to to work the sound system in a way? Like, uh, do you find out where its its limits are, or do you play with the limits, like the levels between the monitoring situation and what you get back from the room and stuff like that? That's something I'm quite interested yeah, in. Yeah, I would. Uh, I, it's it's one of those things where maybe after the gig, you uh, I realized that I was that sound system was really yeah like you were playing with it. It was oh, yeah. it was kind of it oh, was yeah. like pump it was pumping in a really in a really good way, and you maybe don't realize it at the time, but you know just you're pushing the sound levels and it's in a sweet spot and yeah yeah you know, things start to pump in a great way and, yeah but yeah it's it, yeah sometimes that doesn't happen it's not really like uh, conscious effort at the gig maybe. Or, or maybe you're, you're, well, you're yeah, that's subconsciously you're, you're taking advantage of it. You're like, yeah, yeah that yeah, really yeah. responds I, well to slamming the bass in, and in some places that's just going to not work at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I t I always try to get a hang of it. You know, I, I uh, you know change the the monitor. I usually play my monitors really low, 
or I take them off uh, sometimes, you know, just to hear what the system is doing when I when I drop something, you know, just to see how much energy is actually happening, because that can make a huge difference in what you think is going to happen and what's actually happening, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've all been in a situation where you thought, okay, now I'm dropping this thing and it's coming and it's going and then nothing happens. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> or it wasn't as impactful as, as you thought it would be. So so that's the thing I, I usually try to find out in the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes to see just how responsive everything is and how big of the, right. imp- the uh, what is the, you know, the impact of what I'm doing on this on this DJ mixer. And then I, one, once I find that, it's like like you said, Inigo, you, you kind of try to find a sweet spot where you need to be for that environment and then you can just stay there and enjoy it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, when I, I, when I play, um, I mean, I, it's pretty dense, the sound, I would say. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. always, there's always three decks playing and I'm working the EQ a lot and the sound is quite a, a dense sound. sound. So a lot of sound systems can struggle with that. And it's it's you have to learn how to kind of back off from that a little bit, but when when a sound system responds well to that, um, it's really great. It's a great yeah great feeling. Yeah, I think for everybody for, for for the crowd as well, and that's the the main thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That was, yeah, uh, for me, that's where the emotion is. It's like it's it's like surrounding you. Yeah, 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 yeah for and, sure. Then people can tell if you're feeling it and you're in control. Then then it makes a big difference. But I was going to say, like, I always used to try out some kind of super subby kick drums in the beginning of sets, like something with a typical 808 to see if that really comes through. Because half the time, if you're traveling around, like a lot of systems, generally 909 style kick drums really always kind of pound through. But like if you're playing really deep subby stuff, sometimes the, the, the power is not there on the system. So it's always good to kind of, or if you have the chance to do it in a sound check to try it out. Um, just put like the deepest kick you've got, <laughs> and see if, it, yeah. if you could, if you, you know, if you can feel it, because that's really, really useful to have these kind of dynamic moments where you don't have to rely on constantly slamming stuff. If you can like get to a point, I think we were talking about it uh, in in our previous chat, Joachim, about getting to those like super trippy deep moments. That's like the the high point in a way. Actually, yeah, um, rem- yeah, we did, yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Really that nice. turned out to—it's <laughs> another one that turned out to be a DJ uh, conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you, what do you usually? Are you are you aware of these things? Are you are you playing around with these these things, uh, Sam? When you're DJing in a room, like, uh, do you try to notice what's going on uh, sound wise? It's been a while, but yeah. <laughs> what do yeah. you, any any, you know, any memories? On, <laughs> it all depends on like the the crowd as well. I feel like I mean it also depends if the dance floor is full, and like what you can get away with. Kind of. I mean, I do like to push the sound to like a certain limit, um, and yeah, like you said about the monitoring as well, like switching the monitors off and just like listening to how that how it's sounding because it's. Um, it's kind of difficult if you if you come in through the backstage, you go straight to the booth and you don't hear anything about right. what's happening on the dance floor and you might have never been to that club before. Um, and I, I honestly, even if I have five minutes to go, I always like to go for a little walk around, just like do a little lap of the club because I think yeah. like it's super important to come up with your track selections because some stuff's working. You might have played at a gig before the, the weekend and it, it smashed it. Like it was a really solid kick and like everything was really working. And then you go to the next place and you think, oh, that one worked really well. And you play it there and you're like, what? Like, yeah. how, how did that one work there? It doesn't work here. I mean, that's... Mm. 
that's all the differences of these sound systems. So yeah, it's, I think it's really important to um, to have like a, a good arsenal of tracks. To really, yeah, do you uh, do you uh, uh, you know expanding on that? Do you do you um, test your tracks in on a club system before you um, decide? I'm, I'm, do you? I'm always quite scared to ch test my own tracks actually. Right. Or before, before, like, I don't know why. I just sometimes I'll just tease it in, and if I do want to just like know how that kick sounded, then maybe I'll just mix it in on the third deck and just drop that kick, but actually just keep it up. <laughs> on the deck. Just do like a little, <laughs> just do like a little check. Sneak, sneak it in, yeah. That's yeah, cool. but sometimes I feel like that you can like you can like miss a certain layer in the kick, and then you put it in. And then you like missing maybe like 90 hertz or something where that real where that real thump is coming through the system. You might have your like your 30 bit and then you have your sub and then you're missing something. And then, you know, you're mixing that new track that you just made in the studio last week. You drop it and then it's like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I, and I know a lot of people who do, you know, uh, test their tracks in uh, in clubs. But uh, yeah. I, I really never I never really do because. Um, exactly for the reason you just said so you know it, in on, in one uh, situation it might sound amazing and in another one it might sa might sound shit you know so that's it's, what's great to go for a sound check as well because then you could just play all your new all your <laughs> yeah, try it out. and like just like see how it sounded and you don't have the risk of it like sounding like shit yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's one of one of the, the best lessons maybe I learned from from attending mastering sessions over the years um, and you know to have the chance to do that is is brilliant when you can, but uh, to to really get a more of an understanding of of how the sounds will work and what yeah. what what is missing in in your productions in a yeah. way you know where where do you have to concentrate because I, I think habit, habitually you, you get used to working a certain way or your monitors in your studio are are behaving a certain way to to kind of learn how to accommodate that. Yeah, I went in with Matt Colton a couple of years ago and that was like just so inspiring and I'm so happy that I went to just attend that mastering session because Matt's such a great guy and, and you know, he doesn't charge extra. Like some studios charge extra if you want to go and sit in and stuff. And he, just, like, you invite, he invites you in, you have a cup of tea, like you you basically just watch him master three tracks and see see what he's doing. And yeah, I, I love attending mastering sessions now. Before, I always shied away from it. But if there's any opportunity to go and just sit in the back of the room and listen, I think that's um, just really important. Is there anything you learned from from uh, from those sessions about your own music, Sam? About mm -hmm. your own production? I feel yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the highs are way too dull, and I don't know what I don't know what happened there. But like, <laughs> I I mean, I look at the spectrum analyzer. I'm like, stuff's happening there, but. Honestly, I feel like, and I also noticed that like um, my like, there's a lot, there's a lot of mud when it comes to like a certain frequency range, and I think that's the way that I'm like building my tracks. Like, there's might maybe a little bit too much um, like it's not sub information, but there's like too much kick and like rumble at the same time. So around a hundred hertz, I think, or or something like this, because when when Matt was mastering it, it was like, whoa, and he like, he, he started to push it a little bit more. And I was like, whoa, that's not, there's not even like, it's just a kick, a whole kick, kick to kick. There's no like dynamics in between. It just became, so yeah, I, re I really learned some bits to like start separating these frequencies from kick to sub. And then like, um, it also adds to some more like groove in the track as well, rather than just having one plain, yeah, 
So definitely learned a few tricks from him for sure. Yeah, it's something actually that the thing you mentioned now is something I see happening all the time. I, I do these uh, uh, sort of coaching masterclass type things and uh, almost without exception, that's what happens when people uh, produce stuff on, on smaller systems or even on, on you know, headphones or whatever. Because I, I totally understand why, why it is, you know, it's like because you want, while you're producing it, you want that sort of energy and you want to have that uh, adrenaline, you know, and so you tend to, to push in the bass and make the decays way too long, you know, so you yeah. get like all this zooming. But if once you get to the stage where you, where you actually get to the, you know, final mix or mastering thing stage, everything be, just basically it gets even more... Um, sort of smeared out in, yeah. in the, and, and, and if you play that on, this, on, a, on a big system it's just going to be a continuous rumble <laughs> and the, all, the, all the definition and punches is gone you know so yeah I mean it can be there but you still need to retain some kind of dynamic somewhere, somewhere. absolutely yeah. yeah yeah the high end is uh, always something I struggled with as well Sam seeing as you mentioned it and yeah. <clears throat> I feel like over the years I've just like constantly been adding more and more and more <laughs> until the point where maybe it's kind of all right now. But like yeah. the hats, the hats, I always used to be like obsessed with uh, snappy, clicky uh, hi hats on on records that I loved. Like yeah, like a you know a Daniel Bell record or something like yeah. this where the hats are just like or Robert Hood or even like Josh Wink uh, always had my, my favorite kind of sh uh, really short clicky hats and um yeah and I, I couldn't get it right for ages but then i went to a mastering session and then the engineer was like well you've got sounds like you've got too many hi-hats all laid on top of each other so of course they're not gonna cut through just use just use one and make it loud enough and then but yeah it's hard to get those things right especially yeah always working in small rooms small studios but that's why i always check my tracks out like try them in the sound check if I can, but also after a while I just um, get to a point where I feel comfortable enough to just try it out. It's not every set, or it wasn't every set, but in the places where I kind of knew and felt comfortable, then I would come prepared with a bunch of new things. I really like that aspect of like, yeah. kind of I testing out that. tracks. and It's yeah. a never-ending journey. Yeah. Trying to be a learning. And I, you know, I, I recently started trying to learn the dark arts of using a de-esser okay, yeah. high ends, and that's made quite a big difference. Mm. But you know, it's like chipping away, trying to find a find your some some sort of like perfect balance, and yeah, learning how to balance the spectrum so it's much more even. Mm. And whether you do that in the at the mix stage or try to fix it in the on the pre-mastering. Uh, it's uh, it's little little things come together, and, and I, I think over the years, right, playing my own stuff in clubs for the first time has improved. But sometimes it's still a real surprise. You know, the biggest surprise of the night will be that didn't work at all. <laughs> yet I thought I was using the same principles as in the one before it, and that one was great. So yeah, <laughs> what <that's>, happened? <laughs> that's the thing about sound, man. You can there. It is impossible to to uh, to come up with a set of rules um, that would basically be successful successful every time. It's just no. Yeah. It's, it's, sound works in a very you know it's just the way sound works it's funny sometimes you know that that things that that shouldn't be sounding right are sounding right in in one track you know all of a sudden and and the other way around you know 
uh, things that usually go well uh, might just fail in in some occasions and so the, yeah. it's always a, a balancing act basically but it's incredibly hard to be impartial to your own music as well and that's that's one of the great things of, of attending a mastering session too because someone is there with a completely impartial set of ears mm-hmm. and they're not they're not afraid to um, you know say well actually we need to put 6 dB uh, down here mm-hmm. um, and in, when you're trying to do that to your own track you're like I don't want to mess with it too much. Yeah, absolutely. That's a danger. Do you get attached to? Is it attachment? I don't know. Do you get like uh, afraid to do radical changes, even though you know that it really should be done? But yeah, uh, to get it sound uh, right. For me, well, for me, uh, uh, afraid. Yeah, maybe that's not the right word, but because of the way I'm working and I'm recording to a, a stereo master, and there's no room to maneuver. You know, right. you, you can't go and fix it in the mix. Yeah, it's you know, you're fixing it with if you're thinking, or oh, I have to fix that with some pretty severe EQ at this stage. Then right. um, that's that's um, uh, that's that's not right. <laughs> I'm too afraid to do it. Sometimes that's the that's what you have to do. So, yeah, so a lot, okay, of, a lot of people. Can you describe that process? Because you said you you um, you do use some hardware sometimes, but m- most of the stuff you do is in the box, right? So how why why in that when you do that, how does do you end up with just a stereo thing? Does it still go through some analog desk or something? Or no, is, it, is um, it a performance thing that you want to get right in one take or something like that? Or Yeah, well, but the majority of my production, I, I, I use uh, Native Instruments Machine. It's like uh, the, the hub. So I'm not working with a, a door. I, I work with Bitwig sometimes, but that's a different kind of... Uh, different mindset and I, I like this kind of immediacy of of machine so it's naturally it's just mixing down to a, a, a stereo master when i'm doing that and, and it kind of i mean uh, some years ago i was using i was just using a software called energy xt which was this modular sequencing thing the first version was was a genius piece of software as a, a guy from norway i think he made it and, and I, I could no longer use that because it got left behind. It's not 64 bits and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and then I turned to machine. And instead of um, investing a lot of time trying to learn how to squeeze what I did into, a, into Ableton or Bitwig or that kind of thing, I just wanted to be doing that performing still. And yeah, I had to, I, I was no longer using a, a 32 channel desk and mixing in the moment so again mixing down to stereo and then reacting to stuff like live mm-hmm. catch that's way that's for me where the best energy came from and i was just trying to mimic that when i when i switched over to working in the box so yeah in theory i could be capturing stems and then and being able to adjust stuff but i'm just not used to that that, that way of working and yeah. still to, to, to today do you have to go through a lot of different runs? Like, do you set it all up until everything's kind of how it sounds or, or where you want it, and then hit record and do a couple of takes until you get it right? Or how does it work? Uh, re- very rarely. That's, I mean, it, quite often it might happen that a, that a, that a track uh, I would have recorded like ten minutes, and I, I you know, I, then I'm working in Reaper, like I was saying earlier, and I'm and I'm right. cutting it down, and I and I, you know, over the years accumulated some tricks you know editing tricks and techniques to to kind of build a track yeah out out of that 
and get the best bits. And sometimes the best bits are the bits you didn't plan at all. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, you know, that's always been a big part of, of my music. Yeah. <laughs> a- entertaining accidents, oh. like I always said, and, and then ca- catch those and, and they can become like the, the, the main part of the track where it was just like the last 15 seconds of the recording, maybe because you just tried to do something weird at the end or one of the machines went out of sync or something. Yeah, definitely. What happens? Uh, yeah, and you, you didn't design that. But yeah, yeah it's, 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 yeah, it's not, I don't, I don't tend to kind of try to repeat a track. And, and, okay. Yeah, I've done that be a few times. Could be better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've had, um, normally if I've been practicing to do a live set, I would have like, maybe recorded a jam and then sometimes I feel like, Oh, okay, this could be something I should actually record, but I can't be bothered to go and separate all the, you know, all the elements. So I just record a two track uh, recording and then try and work from that. And I don't think I've ever released anything like that. Maybe one or two things, but um, I love the energy of it. It's getting me inspired to, to work on that a bit more. What about you, Sam? Have you ever released stuff that's just been like a, like a two-channel recording? Never. We should, never. we should challenge ourselves to do it and see how it sounds. <laughs> Maybe it would be... We need to jump into the studio together, Ed. Yeah, man, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've, Here we go. We've, 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 we've been in contact and talking about techno for years now, but never yeah, actually, yeah, it's actually uh, met in person, which is bizarre. You gave me yeah, a lot of advice on mindset. Just pop stuff. over and help, uh, help Sam with his uh, writer's <laughs> blog. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We can meet that we can meet tonight. <laughs> Keep your camera running. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But I uh when I, one of the last times I was at ADE I went to see that Jeff Mills thing where he was at the uh Rembrandt Museum and he was in one of the rooms and he was just jamming and playing live and it's always so fascinating to see how he works and also on the the last um exhibitionist DVD there's a cool little kind of like studio or living room session where he's got a few things laid out on the floor and he's just jamming. And I think if you come from that school, which I guess uh, both yourself, Joachim and Inigo come from, then it's just second nature to make tracks like that. But I find it really fascinating because I've, and probably me and Sam are similar, like I've just come from software where you like, you know, copying and pasting blocks. And then eventually now finally, years later uh, getting into this free-flowing world of like external sequences and stuff Absolutely. Um, yes. oh, yeah yeah when I when I when I had to uh, you know I, when I had I had a big Allen and Heath desk and for years that was you know that was an extension of my arms and when eventually I had to kind of stop using that because of space and, and other reasons uh, yeah it was like someone had cut my arms off like I, mm. I I have nothing to reach out and interact with suddenly and you know you get so used to uh, working with the levels and, and send effects and stuff in a live yeah. way and suddenly it was like I can't do that with a mouse or even a MIDI controller it's just not it's not working mm. yeah, you have to get now, to I think now it's come full circle and it's come back to being able to, to work with this with in the box in a much more organic way as well which I think is fantastic you know, yeah, that's been maybe been, the last uh, five years a bit, bit more They've they've been to- two completely different worlds for such a long time, and and like you said, only in the last couple of years it it's come to a point where, um, you know, going in and out of the box and and you know using hardware and and working in the box is pretty much one environment, you know, which is which is great. Super cool. Uh, but it used to be very uh, separated two things, yeah. 
But I, I haven't worked with hardware. I mean, uh, this stuff behind me has it's, it's been in storage for quite a long time, and I, I've been getting it out in the last year um, it, with the lockdown and, and actually getting to know some of it again. Uh, I've been selling some stuff, but I've also found, you know, these are, these things are like desert islands since, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're really unknown depths. And it's, as I was saying a while back, um, you get to a point where you have quite a bit of equipment and you're not really learning them that well you're not really under, you know getting into the into the detail and so i've i've taken a few pieces and put it back in a rack to try and actually get back to uh, get back in touch with them have and you the found, feel have, yeah have you found you you um, approached them in a different way than you used to so far yeah yeah uh, i'd say so yeah um I mean, yeah. I mean, my my mindset now is to be, to explore them in a different way, for sure. Um, but uh, it's early days. You know, it's, some of this stuff's only been here a few weeks now. Right. And yeah, you know, now I have the 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 issue of well, how am I how am I going to interconnect these things, and how am I going to? Uh, I have so many options. If I'm going to, uh, and I've tried using um, VCV rack on a laptop as a sequencer, and running that out through MIDI and controlling this stuff. And you know, that's something I would have, wouldn't have been able to do in the past. And but it's a completely different way of working with them as well. Um, so it's it's been interesting so far, but it's, I don't know how far the journey is going to go or if any constructive music will come out at the end of it. <laughs> it's ah. also been, it's been amazing as well, finding some of this, you know, like ancient pieces of the internet because, you know, there's editors for some of these things that were oh, yeah, released yeah. in like 2000 or something. And um, amazingly, a lot of it still runs on, on Windows 10. I think I'm lucky running Windows because Mac systems are not so forgiving for older software. But it's yeah, going hunting on, on, on websites from the 1990s that still look the same as they did then. It's, mm -hmm. it's what a blast. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and some of them, some of the, I had an Oberheim as well. It's not here now. Uh, you know, realizing this, you couldn't load sounds onto it through MIDI. You have to play, it had a cassette interface. And you know, hunting the internet to find uh, an MP3 recording of the original cassette which you yeah. can wow. play you can play into the to the module and, and it and it works wow it's, crazy it's uh, yeah it's actually like, still how, how some you know some of the old roland gear the the, the only way to back it up is on uh, via audio like the 909 for example or even mm -hmm. the 106 i think it's it uh, you can store th or transfer things uh, on uh well cassette or any audio of course but in the back in the yeah. day it would be cassette oh. yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's always wow. a always a, a nice uh, ritual, you know. Play the sound into <laughs> it and hear the all the the beepy things going, and then uh, hopefully after like a minute and a half, you you'll see all the the presets come up. <laughs> yeah, how we we got used to how fast things are now. Yeah, yeah. Even loading sounds through MIDI, it's like yeah, sitting there for a few minutes while a a tiny dial is going round. Yeah, and this is yeah. and this is like I don't know twenty kilobytes of data or something. Yeah. Right. So, so what is your your um, uh, favorite thing you've rediscovered about the previously storaged gear so far? Well, I, I've got well, there's three Waldorf synths up there. So I've got the Wave XT. There's a a, a rack attack which was quite rare. So you might know the the Waldorf attack VST, and, and they made a rack 
version of it. It's pretty interesting machine. It's, it's, uh, there's a Waldorf micro queue. It's very similar architecture inside, but this is drum orientated. Um, I, I never really got to know it at the time, but it's that's really a fascinating one. And uh, a Waldorf Pulse. Uh, I was on the verge of selling it, and then I, I put my headphones on and started playing with it. And then I discovered there was a, 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 a random preset that you can call up, and the sounds that were coming out of it, I, I, I can't sell oh, it's got a, uh, random, Yeah, I mean, oh, right. that, that should just be a standard thing in any synth, man, a random yeah. randomizer. Yeah. But it, it's really hard to, to make a randomizer that's useful. Yeah, sure. That's the biggest not, challenge. But, well, but with this, it, it works. But yeah, with yeah, a lot sure. of synths, you get randomizers. It's, it's uh, you know, you're it's 25 times nothing. No, that's true. <laughs> I, I, you're right. But I mean, um, you know, the the way sh that that it should be done really is to be able, to, if you were able to define uh, ranges, you know, for each parameter, or can exclude yeah. things. Otherwise, you'll end up, you know, if, for example, if you have a patch where there's a reverb, you'll always have like a massive reverb because, you know, most variations of a reverb are massive reverbs. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's a, like, yeah. There's some, some software that I use quite a lot called Cantabile. It's like mm -hmm. a, a host. It's, I think, designed for like live situations, really. But it has a really good uh, randomization feature buried inside. And you can do that you can specify parameters and ranges or like morphing from one sound to another and use that to to like bound as boundaries to the randomization and it comes out with very very useful results but you have to spend the time to think well, actually do i want the i want the oscillators pitches to stay fixed but i want to change detune a little bit and i yeah i want to you have to kind of think of what you're trying to achieve yeah and then let it do its work. And, and back to Energy XT, that was one of the great things Energy XT also let you do was, was randomize VSTs, but in a really controlled way. But yeah. So, yeah, discovering that the Pulse had a, a very useful randomize, random preset thing. I mean, that's, it's, it's still in the rack because of that. Yeah. It came out with uh, some <laughs> awesome sounds. <laughs> Hooray for randomization, yeah. I mean, I, I there. I remember there was there was some really good FM editors for the Yamaha synths back in the day on the Atari, which which had a, they they kind of nailed it, you know how how to use randomization, yeah. because like complete randomization doesn't always get you good results. I agree. Yeah. Well, I but just, just I just I just sold uh, several Yamaha FM synths, uh, and I kept this uh, FS1R. It's like the the ultimate FM synth that Yamaha did, but it, did it's, a, see, com did it's a complete nightmare. Yeah, yeah. there's a guy who was actually building a massive controller for this one. Have you seen? Yeah, that? I saw it this week. So yeah, German yeah. guy, right? Yeah, yeah. It's I like he, he made like three thousand euros. Yeah. yeah, he made he made one for himself. And there's probably some people in the comments that will know what I'm talking about and can post a, a link or something. But he built one for himself, and then so many people started asking about it that he's now actually going to build them to order yeah um, i say I read, it's like two or three thousand euros the components yeah and, it's, and more, it's more it's more it's more expensive than a synth but it makes it i guess it makes it like a, a totally different instrument because it you know everything is on the on the front and it's all you know accessible instantly yeah. which is i think it, he has a an arduino inside like a, as a controller i mean yeah. it's, it's an amazing achievement yeah it, look, it looks incredible as well it's it like looks a, great what, it looks like amazing a, yeah it's over a meter wide or something 
Yeah, it's huge. Which, it's massive. Yeah. <laughs> for which which synth is it for? The Yamaha. For, for that, the Yamaha FS1R. So it's like a one new unit, but it's like the most powerful FM synth that Yamaha wow. did. It's like eight operators, and you try to program it through the front panel, and, and you're going to get nowhere. So right. that's one of the old old editors I dug up out of the, you know the internet archives. That's cool. Yeah, without, so without, pro- without that process. Yeah, you, Claudia is asking, is it the motive? I don't know. Well, well I think we've, we've, um, there's been discussion on the Discord about this. So, um, there, I'm sure <laughs> if, if you look there, I'll, I'll post it there later. That's uh, fine. It's, yeah. it's not a motive. No, I, I oh, think okay. they came later. Right. And then the other two here are, are Nord modulars. I think 30 drop asked about it earlier on the, oh, yeah, on that's the right. They're, uh, they're like, they truly are desert islands since there's something. Yeah, you can do that stuff you know, you know, with Reactor or Max for Live or any number of other environments. But there's something nice about there being hardware with knobs on. Robin's um, got it. I think this is the one. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Robin. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to be busy with a few more orders. Yeah, I but they're, they're, <laughs> I'm afraid so. I think these, these, the, the FS1 is getting pretty, pretty hard to finds i mean the, the second the value at the moment is really high yeah what, what is to, different from with that synth because i actually have never owned one but what what is the difference with that one and and other sort of the the more sort of well well known in yamaha fm synths what's special um, in this one i mean it, it can do what what the older generation synths did i mean i i had a a, a, a tx816 you know, there's eight DX7s in a rack, and mm-hmm. I, I had a TX81Z. I have a DX7 still, so, and I, all of those. And they, they have their own sound as well, but that a lot of that is to do with the, the DACs and the yeah. output, yeah, yeah. and, and uh, the, that kind of gritty sound and dodgy power supplies, all sorts of things. <laughs> uh, I mean, the FS1R can emulate that, but they don't sound the same. You, you play some of the classic, like the lately bass, patch that the tx817 is famous for and you you do it on on the fs1r and it, it's not the same because it's not you know it's not got that dirt but yeah theoretically it's being the oscillators are are in the same algorithm and the and the, uh, the stuff set up the same way um this okay, this one so was the first first time they they had an eight operator synth but and uh, format exactly, filters yeah exactly but that's also uh you know extra ways you can make a hor- horrendous sound FM is pretty uncontrollable beast unless you have that guy's controller (laughs) so eight operators is not necessarily a great thing but it's uh, there's a lot of uh, power in in a one U unit and the effects are nice you you don't have you don't have uh, effects on the on the older machines Um, I'm a big fan of reverb so there's there's no hiding from that it's it's nice to have that in there uh, yeah, I decided uh, it's a keeper. Nice, good. And a Nord is G two sitting there. Is there a G two? Yeah, it's a G two engine yeah. and, a, and a, a first generation rack. Nice. So yeah, the the first generation has a, a warmer sound, but it it, it had a, a less powerful DSP, less less memory. It doesn't do some of the things the G two does. The G two can can do reverb and delay effects. The G two can uh, 
you can output MIDI, you can do MIDI stuff. So you can write your own pattern generators. So mm. I actually used the G2 to control the, the, the G1 uh, with the sequencing side of things. So it's quite a nice combination. It's, that'll keep you busy for years, man. <laughs> that wreck alone. Yeah, that's, that's why <laughs> right. I call, that's, yeah. that that's truly is the desert island wreck. Yeah, because, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, and and what's that. that sitting behind you? Is that uh, some kind of modular? Uh, uh, here. Dupfer, is that Dupfer? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the camera's your... back to front, so I'm trying to point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. On your... Uh, these, these are, they're actually uh, going, they're, they're being sold off. So it's an old Dupfer A100. It's a okay. basic system. So it's, and, uh, you know, I, I had it for 20 years and didn't really make a track with it, I have to admit. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. <laughs> But it, it's like a time sponge, yeah. <laughs> and com compared to what you can can do and what you could get now in the, in the analog world, it's, uh, you know, it's it, it's unlimited in many ways. But it's also, you know, if I was going to get into the modular thing, it, it would be different stuff. So I, I decided it's time to uh, move it. Nice one. And the well, thing, if, the if, thing if, on if top. You, if you want to find a new owner, which will. Um, yeah be very happy with it just uh, throw it uh, for sale in the knob traders um, channel on the discord oh, right. <laughs> it's on it's on ebay at the moment so. oh right okay <laughs> well, What's that thing on top? It, uh, the thing on top is uh, is also dope for it's a regal work which ah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a it's a midi controller and a sequencer and it it's quite nice because it has um eight cv gate outputs on the back so you can use it to control the the analog stuff Um, and you can use it simultaneously as an A-track sequencer and uh, as a MIDI control. So back in the day, it was like I, I spent, you know, way too much of my life trying to create the perfect environment with all these MIDI controllers that were mapped to all these different pieces of hardware and you know, sequencer wow. stuff doing different things. But you're, uh, th you're theoretically perfect st setup. Yeah, which never made a track. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was the same when I was using Logic Audio on, on Windows back when it was a Windows thing. I spent so much of my life getting the Logic environment perfected that I could, you know, every theoretical situation was catered for. Yeah. If I wanted to, to route this thing to over here, I could do it. Oh, man, uh, I was so. that guy as well. And and I just to come to the conclusion after you're spending like shitloads of money on wiring and patch baying and shit like that, you know, just to that I... Um, you know, putting just a bunch of uh, small pieces of gear on a table is way more productive than having all these possibilities. You know, like uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's cool. Yeah, I'm, but in the end, in the end, you're basically uh, doing the same thing, but just locally without any massive uh, wiring yeah. system behind it. You know, yeah. yeah. That's partly what I'm trying to do with the, with this rack. It's just, it's just focused on. You know, I'm just all plugged into a. a, a a channel audio interface and just see what happens yeah not, not try to overcomplicate it yeah i think so in, inigo is breaking up a little bit uh, <laughs> maybe the, the fam uh, family is uh, going back to netflix <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> or, or Fortnite or something that time yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I work um, like that as well. I just have a like on this on the desk here. I always have like two cents or two or three things, and then everything else gets kind of gets put away. And then I don't really ever record too many things uh, at the same time. Maybe just like one synth and some effects, and then just work like that. And 
yeah, it's it's fun to have your kind of your zone or your little focused uh, beast, if you will, and then don't really stray too far from that. I don't know what I would do if I had walls and walls of stuff. I think it would just be a nightmare. Mm. How how is your studio set up, uh, Sam? Do you have uh, everything patched up, wired in one way, or are you um, is so, it like a fluid work in work in progress thing? It's um, I have my Profit Rev two in front of me. That's like kind of my main go to synth. Um, also use it as kind of a MIDI controller as well, a very expensive MIDI controller. Um, <laughs> and then I have this like Chinese synth, this new ASM Hydra thing. It's like kind of digital. It's a bit like the Novation Peak. Um, but that's all being run into a patch bay. And um, then I can just pick and choose which one I want to use at the time. I can just unplug something, plug it in like this. Um, it's fairly straightforward, to be honest. I did want to try and get like a desk to run everything through a desk because I never really used that. And I mean, I think me and Ed were speaking before. I think the way that we started making music was like very software based at the beginning. And then as you go through time, you start to like go and buy more analog machines. And then, yeah, we start to use desks and stuff like this. And uh, yeah, I want to try and get more into um, writing properly and hardware, to be honest, just for the experience. I think the views are going to go through the roof now because yeah. we have a cat in the... <laughs> <laughs> She's always making an appearance. <laughs> so so what is your, your usual um, uh, process then? Do you sketch things out or do you... Uh, Sam, do you... Uh, um, spend a lot of time in the box you know just loop listening to a loop and then expanding it what what is what is your way because your your um, your music is pretty um you know sort of forceful and, and driven but there's also a lot of movement in there so where does yeah. the, how how does the movement uh where does that happen in the process i guess the my main process is just recording like a long stretches of audio and then um i do record like everything to audio whatever i'm doing because I, I know you're familiar with um, A&D, Andrew and Dimitri. I mean, Andrew was kind of my mentor. And ever since he kind of like showed me like some bits in Ableton when I was a kid, he was just like, always hit record. And ever since I did mm -hmm. that, I just was just changed my workflow. I just have like, you know, four or five minute long records, recordings of like synth lines. And then I can take like a certain section of that which I like. And then I can take another layer underneath and maybe have that on the polyrhythmic layer and then make it move kind of in that way. And then obviously automation is really key but yeah a lot of my stuff is very still very much a mouse clicking uh, you know this tedious way um but the, uh, the audio parts are basically you sort of improvising with with a a, a synth or whatever yeah yeah with, with a synth like or hands-on like hands-on i mean yeah 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 with a synth or like you know i'll just map a few parameters to my midi controller and just you know just tweak a few bits as i'm going right. along or you know i'm just in reactor and i'm just like messing with like different um different sequences and um yeah messing with the oscillator and trying to fine tune it in this in this sort of way but i'll just always hit record you know i know i matter if it's a vst or if it's a hardware synth um and yeah, I just have so many long audio recordings, and it's also just great to go back to as well because because I just like kind of have like like my little folder, and I go back and I can just select, you know, just a one hit from that, and and then yeah, and then slice it up into Ableton, just come up with some other like rhythmic kind of loops, reversing stuff, and and then yeah, and then it all just. 
kind of comes together in a certain do you way. do you actually do that because uh, in theory i mean everybody who's who's generated shitloads of audio over the years can do that right but um yeah. I, i'm one of the people that um, don't go back and try to you know look <laughs> look for sounds that i've already recorded i much i, always, I always do that because sometimes yeah. the recording right. has like four or five different like sounds in there it's not always like the same like one bleep just just running because i'm always trying to modulating it kind of like with with yeah with um with a certain way and yeah i just it's quite i don't know it's like my workflow now is kind of set and yeah maybe that's why i have a little bit of writer's block because i need to kind of get out of that like mindset and kind of push the boundaries a little bit more and um come up with a new way of of writing music um yeah but that's all part of the learning and i think that's why we all love electronic music is because it's just never ending every day is with something new <laughs> yeah yep whether you like it or not yeah <laughs> yeah hooked for life <laughs> but like getting a new piece of gear or selling an old piece that always helps i find like or just or you know digging something out that that's kind of the, the subject of tonight isn't it of like rediscovering things that you haven't used for a while yeah and then your your um kind of ingrained knowledge of that piece of gear hopefully still exists and then you maybe apply some new things you've learned and then suddenly you discover something new. Like I keep coming back to my Korg Electribe drum machine and just I'm amazed how uh, detailed you can get with it. It's such a basic thing in a way and doesn't sound amazing, but if you really push it and really force it to do stuff, then I'm still kind of discovering tricks with it. And I love it because it's so kind of crap in a way, but it, yeah. it actually is great. I just bought yeah. this uh, RX-8, which I'm really intrigued to try mm -hmm. out. I just need to find a few memory cards for it. I think that's the most expensive part of this of this machine, like 150 mm -hmm. quid, but then the memory card's like 80 quid. But yeah, I need to, I need to pick out some uh, some memory cards from eBay or something. RX-8? Yeah, yeah, it's a rolling thing. R8, you mean? R8, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I've got actually. I've got the. That's going to be the next sound pack, people. For the people who are uh, uh, on our Patreon, um, I've got. I bought this uh, thing from CircuitBand.co.uk, which uh, you can slot into the the ROM uh, uh, slot of the R8, mm -hmm. oh, and wow. it circuits band circuit bends your uh, your R8, and it's it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. I wow. mean, no, normally circuit bending sounds are are pretty harsh. You know what I mean? It's like it's yeah. always ending up in sort of noise territory. But this one, for some reason, uh, also produces. Well, it does it does that as well. But this also produces some more. Um, I don't know. It's it's glitchy, but still very tonal and very um, yeah round in a way. Like yeah. much, much most much unlike most circuit bending type sounds. Mm. So I've done I've done a session together with uh, Fritz, recording a, a shitload of sounds just from the circuit bend R8, and um, mm -hmm. um, that's going to be the sound pack. It's a lot of fun. It's um, it may, it so totally changes the the whole machine. It was one of my first drum machines, and I'm mm -hmm. I'm still very much in love with it. <laughs> Although I haven't used it for a while, but it's um, it was actually you know it was one of the first ones that you could actually you know have pitch per step and you know decay per step and stuff like that. So um, quite advanced. I think it was made in '91 or something. The R8. Not sure. Yeah, yeah. Really anyway, cool. you'll have fun with it. It's it's a really yeah. cool machine. The only thing I don't like about it is um, the timing can be sloppy. 
um, yeah. especially if you if you um, use it with MIDI, you know, if you trigger the notes by MIDI, if you trigger too many of them at the same time, it, the timing gets weird. Yeah. And it's not a nice sloppiness, you know what I mean? Some some machines have like a, a sort of weird timing, which is nice, but the RA just gets sort of yeah weird in timing and and also Drunk. if you if you have a lot of notes in inside the internal sequence you get that as well but the over midi it's even worse so uh, that's why some people who use it a lot had two or even three you know yeah. um, just yeah, to have yeah. like less notes going on in each machine yeah, yeah. wow <laughs> i don't actually know which one that is i need to go and google it now and find out uh, which yeah. is it quite small no, the, the well, there's an one. there's an R5 which is smaller, but the R8 right, is uh, uh, the R5, it, yeah, yeah. yeah, but the R8 is yeah, it's like a, I don't know, same size. It's a bit bigger than the electron machines. It's a yeah. flatter flatter design. Looks quite space ag. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, my neighbor Philip Efterman has one. I mean, they're amazing. Uh, I definitely, I definitely see the potential there. I mean, I do now, the way I work, I do kind of sequence uh, synth patterns and stuff externally. I never send MIDI from the computer or something like I used to. I always found that to be really, really time-consuming and didn't really get the swing or the the kind of glue effect I was looking for. So now I just use the Analog 4. And I just bought this um, Medusa from Dreadbox and Polyend that's got a sequencer in it. And mm. it's I'm, I'm pretty, pretty impressed, actually, so far. It's quite quite meaty and it's got like six oscillators and like i was saying earlier if you just detune them all it's pretty, pretty good <laughs> can't go wrong and it's got and it's got random when <laughs> when in doubt detune <laughs> yeah, yeah random. the circle on does yeah. look nice with the with the keyboard type keyboard style buttons definitely some nice haptics yeah. going on there yeah the updated version looks nice with the color screen and mm. yeah there's too many things out there it's scary Mm-hmm. Um, man, we are already talking for almost two hours. Let's let's uh, wow. s- stop ignoring the people in the comments, uh, you know, and give them a last chance to uh, to post their urgent questions to uh, the guests tonight. So, if there's anything you always really wanted to find out about uh, any of our guests' tracks or music or secrets or whatever or <laughs> anything, just that's, this is the time, people. Yeah, there's been a lot of people commenting on stuff, and just nice to see people here in general. Absolutely, but we <laughs> we always get so engaged in the conversation that we we sometimes forget about um, um, you know bringing in the questions. Although we've we've had a few, but uh, yeah, um, your company is uh, appreciated, people. Um, so let's see, anyone? Definitely, anyone. Cat names. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> what's your ca- the, the name of your cat i think sam is it, what, yeah, did you already you already said got, that she's called tiny tiny <laughs> <laughs> she's honestly feels like this big when i got her i think <laughs> she's not any bigger new artists <laughs> we should look out for i don't know mm. i mean the last weekend's jam with megan megan labor was uh quite a, a really enjoyable so i would i would say have a have a look on what she's doing she's uh, she's pretty incredible um, is she based uh, in, in rotterdam or where is she yeah she's a, she's based in rotterdam yeah cool yeah yeah but i think one, one of the one of the great things in the, in the last year is, is finding a lot of new stuff on platforms like bandcamp 
and oh yeah, yeah absolutely it's kind of slightly changing the way uh, i've accessed music for sure yeah bandcamp gives me this sort of uh, record shop vibe you know it's like uh, mm -hmm. um, not really the same but it's it's like uh, it's a really good place to discover and to learn from other people that you follow what they're listening to it's a, it's a really nice it's not actually curated but there is sort of the curation system that i've got in place actually works it's quite it's quite nice um one for uh inigo do you like barbell because they are heavy <laughs> i'm sure i'm not sure inigo is still moving uh-oh seems to be frozen <laughs> right on time <laughs> well too bad too bad js yeah <laughs> Uh, what is this operator is asking can you jam and noodle right up until bedtime or do you need to unwind after working on it oh that's a good question that's a good question with that bright screen in your face and uh, you're up to you know you switch on Ableton at 11am or so 11pm or something you, then you're yeah. you've got to read a book I, yeah. I can't can't relax until I've uh, read something now these days. No. Lockdown taught me not to watch stuff before you go to bed. Just yeah. read and then you can fall asleep. It's much better. Screen, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's tricky. Well, <laughs> we lost him. Yeah, we lost him, but let's let's not go away until uh, we found yeah. we found him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, unless it's taking too long. Oh, here we go. Let's see if he's back now. Hey. hey, are you moving? Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> okay. Boom. Still a bit, uh, still a bit uh, um, crunchy, but um, I think we should be fine. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, there's the the walk from the studio back home, which is sort of uh, uh, clears my mind. So I, d I don't really need to. I mean, yeah, it's good to have. Um, for me, it works when I've my working place the space where i work and the space where i live you know separated so it's um i don't really have to um you know how do you say that like come come down from the studio session there's always the walk you know which is mm. um which is enough to get me uh fine mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's uh, like if you're looking at the screen for too long throughout the day you're supposed to look out the window and focus on something really far away right to like help your eyes uh, to not um, ruin your eyes over the years. And it's a similar thing when you're walking home, you can kind of like get space around you and fresh air and then definitely works. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Okay. So, cool. oh man, Inigo is really having trouble. Oh, now he's, hey. now he's better. Better, Inigo. Yeah. Just in time for, uh, for the last bit. <laughs> I, I opened the door. There's technical ah. speech. <laughs> <laughs> Out. Well, sometimes opening a door can be a fix, you know. Yep. <laughs> it's about opening opening doors. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, oh, now we're getting into books now. Okay, let's maybe maybe do one. Actually, talking about books, Sam, I saw you have the. If I'm correctly, uh, and yeah. I think some people in the comments already uh, uh, noticed, you have the David Byrne book, How Music mm -hmm. Works. Did you read it? Yeah, I've, I've got quite far into it. It's quite interesting. I mean, yeah. I do like the Talking Heads and the, these sorts of bands. And yeah, that's quite interesting. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of tales and stuff in there, collaborations and um, 
all these different things when they're in New York and stuff. It's a it's an interesting read. I would I would say that it's not exactly how it is titled. It's not how music works. It's just more of a whole broad overview of um, of his life, kind of. Well, and, yes, but I, I've read it as well. He does get into in, into sort of more philosophical things about music as well, yeah. which, which is I would I would say kind of what you know what the title reflects but yeah. Uh, but yeah it is, it, there's a lot of anecdotes in there too for yeah, sure absolutely, yeah. yeah cool yeah. but it's not just that I, re I recommend the one from Ableton this uh, what's it called 74 creative strategies um, for electronic producers <laughs> I love this book I think it's like really well written and it's also referencing like a lot of um, artists that you know we like because there's some music books out there which um they just reference like really random stuff but you know they're referencing all tech they're referencing apex twin ports of canada and it's just nice to read them words in a book when you're when you're thinking that that's the music that you like and um it's also nice to know that you're reading about like that sort of topic rather than just something that's completely off in a way cool. okay it's a good one I've just been reading uh, Anthony Bourdain, uh, a novel that he wrote called Bone in the Throat, which, because I've read like all of his uh, like autobiographical stuff and um, thought I'd give it a try with the novel. And it's, it's amazing. I love it. It's really, it's a quick read. It's like just kind of trashy uh, mafia crime thriller kind of thing. Brilliant. <laughs> but it's written by Anthony Bourdain. It's like, you know, it's like yeah. every, every character in the book is him, basically. It's really cool. <laughs> I have plenty of plenty of books I can recommend not to read, like the <laughs> uh, like the FS One R manual. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> you, I knew you were going to refer to manuals. <laughs> nice one. The, Wal the Waldorf XT's MIDI implementation. That's a yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> <a dense> read. <laughs> okay, well, nice I think one. I think that's that uh, that kind of sums it up, you know, uh, about uh, <laughs> about books. Um, usually at the end of the round, we give everybody a few minutes to uh, talk about what they want uh, to, you know, like information they want to spread, where people can find their music, any current projects, any coming, any things coming up, anything you want to make the audience aware of. So maybe we should start with um, Sam. Sam, what's in your pipelines? What's coming up? Um, I'm mainly focused on running the record label at the moment. So I have releases from uh, Jant, who's a producer from Manchester. Um, that's coming out this Friday. Then I have Rene Wise, who's a producer from Brighton, making some really nice tracks on like Motivolver and stuff. And he's doing his first EP on my label. And then um, I'm mainly focused on like trying to write some sort of album material. That's why I'm kind of in this writer's block because I need to figure out like where, what direction I want to go with this. So I'm hoping that like that's going to be getting there in the next couple of months. So I'm not going to release any music until like autumn or fall, like more, more November, maybe October, November. So we wait for music from me. But and you just you just well. did a I just saw that you did a set on uh, her on uh, in I, Berlin. Yeah, I have this. I have this like. Uh, kind of like um quarterly residency on hall now so i invite people to come with me um as a guest and i try and choose artists which are which i think are good and are maybe not so well known to try and give them a platform to for oh, them cool. to showcase themselves and yeah great cool yep. ed anything from you yeah, I've just been really working a lot on label stuff as well, actually. I mean, I'm always kind of ticking away with tracks and jotting down ideas. But at the moment, or since last year, I've 
had a couple of projects that I really want to see through to fruition. One of them is a P. Lopez album. Oh, nice. Um, which is, I mean, he just keeps sending me tracks, so I keep having to change the the track order, but that's going to be killer. It's going to be a record. It's going to be like what, like a sampler of four tracks on vinyl and then a full album on digital. We should really get him, uh, give him <laughs> another chance to, to, uh, to yeah, to be yeah, yeah. Yeah. Last time he was cool. like, uh, <laughs> too glitchy for, <laughs> he was mega glitched out. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, and, uh, also a couple of other EPs on the label from, from some new artists. Um, and also really excited about a soundtrack thing that I'm going to put out, which is a soundtrack to a film. Um, the film is by a German Greek director called Nikias Chrysos. He's done a couple of other films. Uh, that's Bunker or Bunker, I think. And, uh, the soundtrack's produced by uh, a couple of guys who work here in the building with me. So, um, and one of the tracks is written by Shackleton and then they kind of did their sort of, electroacoustic arrangement of of what Shackleton gave them so it's going to be a really interesting kind of collaborative like meaty project so that'll probably come out in the summer awesome and yeah just nice uh, you know keeping busy <laughs> <laughs> cool Inigo anything from you uh, good question um, yeah it turned <laughs> out I'm, I made quite a lot of music in the last year I surprised myself and um, I didn't necessarily have an outlet for a lot of it um so you know there was a mix that went up recently on the through the hate collective it was just purely like unreleased stuff that i had done mm. that i thought it would be nice to share um but i you know i have a vague idea to to kind of restart my asymmetric label and oh to, nice uh, put that, some <laughs> stuff do out. it do it yeah, <laughs> yeah. um you know on, okay. on the one extreme yeah i could sit there and think well i, mean, I could you know could put out an ep or even an album pretty much every month and <laughs> on Bandcamp. but on the other side it's maybe i should folk make something more focused so, um i'm not sure which way to go yet but there's definitely uh i think a good argument for uh asymmetric coming back to life so, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not maybe not quite as uh brutal as asymmetric one as we were talking about <laughs> earlier right okay so, yeah the, the, when, I, when the label became digital it was a lot more uh kind of left field stuff anyway it's yeah. more, more variety we'll see well dropping this is a big tease man knowing that you're sitting on, on a lot of music which uh, <laughs> which you're not uh, sharing at the moment but uh, we'll definitely keep an eye out um, and yeah hopefully oh, we'll, uh, we'll see what it, these rack does as well yeah the <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh an idea maybe <laughs> release per month and with a subscription model I don't know yeah I don't yeah. know and, and, and NFT limited edition yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> full circle <laughs> exactly yeah yeah okay so on that note <laughs> um, thanks so much guys I really enjoyed um, talking to you and uh, hanging out uh, thanks Inigo really nice to see you t nice to see you after all these uh, years and you thank um, you and uh, Ed great uh, to see you again and uh, yeah, Sam uh, thank you absolutely uh, amazing thanks for joining and thanks for everybody in the uh, on the, in the comments on uh, on youtube and twitch to join us one thing i want to drop um is we are nearing the end of stay home sound system season two and um we've already announced the lineup but uh, we are working on the the finale like uh, the marathon uh, that's going to be a nice one not revealing anything yet. It's still in progress, but uh, it should be a, f a fun one to do. 
and uh, we uh, we have a Discord server where all us nerds gather outside of these talks and um, continue the conversation about nerdy subjects, about gear, making music, about all that stuff. And we have a Patreon page if you want to get uh, uh, to subscribe to uh, to this thing, uh, support us, or get sound packs or masterclasses. Um, have a look. Uh, Sander should post the links in the in the chat now um, and that was my plug for this week so thanks again guys thank you yeah um, have a good evening good and um, hope, hopefully see us each other in real life and at some <laughs> some time some some place exactly yeah. <laughs> for cool. a beer Take care, guys yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay uh, thanks guys ciao ciao, 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 ciao. ciao, ciao. <laughs> <laughs>